Oh, hello, hello, hello. This is the Ian Prendercast, another Carlton podcast. We're back for 2024 proper. My name is Sean Peter Budge. We're brought to you by 121 Media and MGA. We'll throw first, of course, to the great Dr. Tim Davis, DU's favourite son, the most famous son, the king of the banana slugs. It's been a while since we've done one of these, Tim, and in that time, I regret to inform our listeners you are the subject of a medical board review. Uh, Afra <laughs> have heard some of these podcasts. Uh, you're being charged with providing false and misleading information. That makes a lot of sense, Sean. <laughs> How are you? I am well. I am well. I asked how you were. What? No, I'm good. I'm good. I've, uh, I've since the last episode, I've um, negotiated a bout of pneumonia, oh, fucking uh, which you was have. which was suboptimal. Um, but I'm pretty good now. So if I do cough during during the episode, how would it be any different? It wouldn't be any difference, but but there would at least be a sound medical reason for it. So, um, but recovering well. Oh. Um, had a few cracks at a few different antibiotics on the way. It was a very, very mild strain for what it's worth. So listeners, don't worry. I was never at any level of risk um, of not being here How ever again. How thick did you lay it on? No, no, no. I, I actually, I think I only missed two days of work okay. all throughout it. So, so you weren't like Cameron Fry and Ferris Bueller? It's like, <laughs> I think I'm dying. <laughs> no, no, it was never like that. But every single time I saw the doctor, they kept on saying, if you get Put worse. Put your fucking pants if, on, if, Tim. If you go downhill, they said go straight to emergency and I'm like, okay. okay. And I'm thinking, I actually feel not too bad. I'm a little bit sick, but I don't think I'm at risk of um, Sam Mitchell expiring. Style. Yeah. Which yeah. apparently was quite serious. It must have been. Again, Ferris Bueller must have been pretty serious. <laughs> so, but now I've come out the other side and I'm all very good. So uh, thank you very much. Speaking Sean. of coming out the other side, um, we've had some fun, Tim Davis, and I'm going to give you a very, very, very short amount of time to sum up the superb owl, your oh, yes. Niners, of course, were gallant, but ultimately unsuccessful. Uh, also, you know, so close again. You've been there or thereabouts now for quite some time. This Niners sort of iteration, correct? Extra time didn't go your way. Yep. How do you sum it all up? As we've said. For a side that traded three first rounders in an effort to for who Tim Davis, uh, Trey Lance Whitnell, for Trey Lance Whitnell, um, where is he? Dallas, back up to um, so we got two shit quarterbacks, oh. uh, Dak Prescott, um, under Dak Prescott. So so they they made a bold move to try and take the next step, which they couldn't do earlier because they saw they weren't going to win um, win the super superb owl oh. with um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and the fact that they ended up <laughs> So they've actually got an inferior quarterback to Jimmy Garoppolo and got closer. It's really hard. I, I, I have had this conversation with Fab to understand how good is Brock Purdy. And, mm. and I don't think anyone knows the answer. Um, I think he's okay. I, I, we, we sort of said you probably wouldn't put him in your top ten quarterbacks in the competition, but he finished top five. In, in That's the, coming in the, through our mic just as loud as it would have yours. In the league MVP. So it's it's really hard to know. And and the best thing, and I said this, I don't even know if I did say this to Fab actually, we've gone to extra time in a Super Bowl with them. And he, he did his job. He didn't make many mistakes at all. If, if we'd have won it, he probably wouldn't have been the MVP. The MVP probably would have been Jawan Jennings because the wide receiver threw, did mm-hmm. a... Your mate, oop de oop, whatever uh, the Philly Philly special, um, and and thrown his own touchdown pass. Um, but again, you go to extra time. If we'd 
known the rules. Kick, kick the extra point. If you'd no. known the rules. But well, if we no, kick the extra point. Can I, can I? The extra point was the killer. Yeah, well, That whole thing about well, taking the, the ball. Return. No, I, th- that is just bullshit. You take it. You take the ball. Yeah. Of course you do. Because if you score, if you, the idea is that... You put pressure on the you opposition. You put pressure on them. And yeah. even kicking the field goal still put pressure on the opposition. Yeah, absolutely. But it opened the door to one of our generation's best quarterbacks but, to find a way to win. And, this is and, it. And the final, obviously, we're speaking about, there was some crap after the, the match about the Niners had uh, won the toss in extra time and decided to receive... And that actually cost them a down because the new rules are it's not sudden death if you score a touchdown, blah, 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 blah. No, you want the ball because then if you score, it's sudden death. Yeah. No, in in your favour, obviously. Yeah. The other team has to score, Yep. you know, match or better you. And it's like, it's the most obvious thing. I don't, oh, they fucked up. They didn't know the rules. Oh, they gave them an extra down. Well, it's, it's the like, same as cricket, a- isn't it? Like the amount of times, like there is a time and a place to win the toss and bowl in cricket. Ian Chappell always sort of said, "You win the toss, you bat." Get me three fifty. Yeah, and oh, and then he said, uh, and, "We'll have a and bat." Then, and then if you think about it, and if you think you might bowl, think about it again and bat. <laughs> so. No, this is it, and it's. I just thought that was such a funny after um, sort of holdover from the, the match and the conversation around the match, which was it was in the end. It wasn't. I didn't think it was a spectacular Super Bowl, but it was a good contest. But it was a good contest. Second half was a lot. The first was, half was very, very, very boring. But it was, well, it was too, defensive centric. Yeah. It was two very. Ultimately, evenly matched teams, and they were scoring, but field goals. And it was sort of one of those games where you're like, it's the classic. And this, I don't know who popularized or repopularized it in Australian sport, but it was that styles make fights. If you watch two evenly matched boxes, they could be the two best boxes in the world, but it won't be a good fight if they're very even, very similar styles. Mm -hmm. You'll be going, this is sort of, they're fighting each other, you know, one themselves. This is kind of, uh. And it opened up and in the end goes to extra time. You That's get the big what I moment. miss about football. I've said this to you before. You used to go watch European games oh. and the English sides would play one way, the Spanish yep. sides play another way, the Italian sides would still larger playing defensive. It's the contrast in styles and how do you break it down? Now everyone's playing the same ball. It's the same as mixed martial arts. They all do Brazilian out. jiu-jitsu now. Once yeah, upon a time, now everyone just to goes to the ground. Yeah, what was the style that was going to... Um, uh, a seed to the top. Well, mm. they ultimately found out the answer, and yeah. there's no deviation from That's it. it. F- football does seem to with shut down uh, the whole business. We found it out. <laughs> Who's the ultimate fight? Jujitsu. Yeah. The guy who's good at jujitsu. <laughs> the, the interesting thing with with football, Australian football, is that there is obviously always a prevailing style that the Premier generally plays, but that is usually beaten by something else. Well, I think it's cyclical. Yeah. I, I think this can beat that, that can beat this. It's rock, and paper, so on scissors, and so, Yeah, it? that's yeah. exactly what but it is. If, if football, it does feel like our team plays a particular way and then they're beaten by not necessarily the same thing, whereas in other sports they all kind of tend to cancel each other out yeah. by playing very similar styles of whatever the game is or you know, pursuit that they are, uh, they are involved in. Just the very last thing on the superb owl. Yes. Having one of your best linebackers tear his Achilles as he goes to run on the ground, that one point was suboptimal. <laughs> Having one of the blokes trying to defend a, a guy that wants to tackle the bloke that's going to catch the punt, have it hit his foot, and then the guy try and pick it up and not just fall on it and hold possession, there was a tiny little bit of bad luck that... There nah, always is, though. The, the Achilles is fucked. Yeah, no, that is, that's bad. The other one, that's that's just that's just that's, poor. Well, as you say, you just right. got to be aware of the ball. Special teams supposed to be stands for specialized, not special. As no, in, that's that a special, special bunch of. It's like SWAT. It's not normal weapons and tactics. <laughs> it's special weapons and tactics. Yeah. So, um, so I think in the end, I think 
Kansas I've, City I've, won I've, because... I felt bad for you, Timbo. Oh, I, look, was, Pat, I was rooting for you the whole day. That's not no, what I you did. weren't. <laughs> you were actively rooting against him. Well, he deserved it because he didn't, <coughs> he didn't partake in our little... And then as soon as the match ended, you sent him a text, and it wasn't like bad luck, better luck next year, Tim. It was... It was like the guy in Happy Gilmore. Better luck next year, Davis. <laughs> it's like you see, you've massively piled in on him. And uh, you didn't put that $50 bet on the other day for me. No, no I didn't. didn't. Right. So my $50 bet is still alive. We'll work on that. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, lucky I didn't, Timbo, because it fell. It free. lost. Yeah. Well, that's good in the end. By the way, the whole um, <laughs> the, the superb hour thing is based on one of my favourite tweets of all time when this guy is Super Bowl day and he just tweeted with the hashtag Super Bowl. He goes, it's time to find out what's so good about this owl. <laughs> That's one of my absolute favourites. I love it to death. So you've already heard him. Baloo is with us. Baloo Baganoush. He's woken from his off-season slumber. He's out of hibernation. I don't get it, but anyway. You get it. It's Baloo from uh, Jungle Book. Yeah, and what's yeah. the song? Um... I know the song. Yes, and it's one of the most famous songs yeah. in movie history. Baloo, the lazy fucking bear, <laughs> has woken up and he's skylarking with Mowgli. It's the bear necessities. Bear team. necessities. That's what I'm, I was humming it to myself. So, so never, he's, never seen the Jungle Book. Is that right? Your yeah. kids would love it. They would love it. They, they can watch. Okay, fair enough. They could watch both versions. They could watch the, nah. the cartoon, or they could watch John Favreau's uh, reimagining, which is which was, is both good or quite decent. Yeah. A good example of a film that there'd been a long enough period of time that's like you can justify putting a, a fresh uh, coat of paint. And it was so different yeah, to the original. Yeah, you, you could justify, we'll, we'll do it again and we'll update it and we'll make it fresh. Don't be fucking doing Aladdin 25 years, you know, Lion King. Give us the old ones, remodelled and wheeled back out for a new gen. Like it. So how are you going, Baloo? Yeah, I'm good. I, um, it's been a good off-season. Mm. This is the part where you pretend like you've been really, really busy and like you, Tim, you somehow think Tim I, indulges I, 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 you and Tim's like nodding along and I'm openly sceptical of your work this, ethic. This is Sean's perception of my um, my summer that I just I shut the door yep. and, and I do a Pants damn thing. <laughs> yeah, you're like that bear. I put the gif on uh, on Twitter. When he woke up, he came out of his little cave and he was disorientated and dis- like dishevelled. Ah, oh, mate. Well, you know, go away. You have Christmas. Christmas is great. You go away. Few different places, and then guess what? You're back to work. You get COVID and then pneumonia. <laughs> um, what about you? You're telling us off pod that you dusted off the Jordan ones yesterday and hit the court for the first time in in quite a while. Yeah. How did that go for you? Uh, it went well. Yeah. Um, I've woken up extremely sore. It was obviously a pretty, you know, rough and tumble sort of contest. Who were you playing against? I was five and six year olds. Yeah, generally. <laughs> um, <laughs> Couple of nine-year-olds, couple of ten-year-olds, and and the fathers, and um, and uh, yeah, we'll get now our our backsides handed to us. Mm-hmm. So I've gone from saying, oh, yeah, can't defend little kids, and you know if they've got to get a let them shoot, nut. Nah, became, became I became the Mutombo. Became Gary Payton. Really the glove. <laughs> the glove. <laughs> Speaking of the glove, one of the uh, I had no problems. With Alyssa, the one of the little little girls, Alyssa, I think she's about ten. Um, she wore me like a glove. Every time I got the ball, she was just bang in my. I was like, mm. okay. That's just good defence. Playing hard D, this one here. So um, Terrier. It was, it was it was good. I uh, I pulled the old uh, hamstring. No, nah, 
next shot wins. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. I think we were down by eight at the time. And I said, that's Smart it. Move. When I ran out of, <laughs> when I ran out of juice, I said, next shot wins. Proceeded to get the ball and just put in the put in the hoop and drain a three and walk off. Walk off. He was like Philip Seymour Hoffman, the long oh, came Polly. He's possibly the greatest scene in White Hollywood chocolate. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let it rain. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. So in an yeah. otherwise weird movie. Dominated. Excellent. That's great. That's really wonderful to hear. It's wonderful that you're here and you're drinking out of a really small cup. <laughs> the best bit about the along came Polly bit is when. Um, Ben Stiller's on the Sasquatch. He's <laughs> all sweaty and his faces in his chest. Not and seen like, it. Have you not seen no. it? Tell me it's my homework, Timbo. It is your homework. We absolutely. <laughs> you <laughs> didn't have to watch that. I liked the whole movie, but it's, but just watch the basketball scene. It is thoroughly worth it. You know what I find funny? Two things. That scene, that part was obviously, maybe not obviously, but it was, for me, I, I watch it, and you watch it now, and you're like, 2004, I think that came out. Yeah. That was absolutely intended for Jack Black. It looks very Jack Black, doesn't and it? And he obviously couldn't do it. And they just went, let's get a really serious, excellent actor. Yes. And let's just see if he'll do it. And Philip Seymour Hoffman probably went, fucking A. And he was one of the greatest He's actors great. of our generation. He probably just went, yeah, I'll do this stupid movie. See, the, and and the, the one tiny little bit in the movie that Elise and I – to this day, still laugh our asses off at is when he walks in and he goes, "The best man is in the house." <laughs> and just as he slips, they they've over they've over um, oh, it. varnished or the the, the oh, dance over floor, polished it, and he, and he and he goes flying and he ends up on his ass. <laughs> and it, it, it is so small and it's so simple, and yet Elise and I will laugh our asses moments. off. For it's like when uh, in the wedding singer. When Steve Buscemi says, uh, "Never had a lesson," <laughs> yeah, Thanks, but Dad, I <laughs> like a. Wait, afterwards, when they're near the dumpsters, where the kids getting sick, and he he comes around again, and then Adam Sandler says, "No, no, we, we've got this covered." And he goes, "Hey, wedding singer," and like he, he does like a Michael Jackson, <laughs> and falls off the <laughs> and falls off the loading dock. It's brilliant. <laughs> Dad and I are actually talking about. Um, I was watching this thing. Was it Vogue? Oh, what's the cha- Vanity Fair? Maybe they have the actors go over their careers, yep. and it's just—it's good to have on in the background. The videos go for twenty, twenty-five minutes, and actors and actresses just talk about the sort of key films in their careers. It's reasonably well done. And the one I watched this week was Jeff Daniels, and he was talking about how Dumb and Dumber—they didn't really want him to do the role of the studio and the producers yep. as such because he was a serious actor, and it's like we don't think he's right for it. But Jim Carrey sort of fought for him and the Farrelly brothers and he came on, he did the movie and uh, ended up being great, mm. the pairing. And he was talking about how Jim would just improvise different things. They'd keep the cameras rolling and, and there's a few examples where something he just improvised is in the movie. And he goes, one such bit was the most annoying sound in the world. You know. And then the other one was when they're walking into the benefit dinner and they're in the tuxes and they're sword fighting in the doorway. Because originally we sort of just walked in and – had a back and forth with the Mater D sort of thing and did the mouth spray in his eye. and Because yeah. anyway, the last take they did was the sword fighting one. And Dad and I were laughing because I said, I reckon they played it, obviously. The bit where Jeff Daniels wraps him across the back of the legs with the cane. Yes. I haven't seen that in, well, I don't know the last time I watched Dumb and Dumber. I lost it. It's hilarious. It is I absolutely, absolutely hilarious. lost it. Yep. Pratt Falls, it's funny how that's always been a thing, silent movies and, and whatever, but would he just like, Baseball bat styles him across the back of the legs. <laughs> but, but 
<laughs> and he falls down. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's a, it is a better movie than people give it credit for. Apparently, Jeff Daniels is an excellent singer. Guitarist. Guitarist as Dave, well. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's the same interview where he's sitting in front of a wall of about 40 guitars. There you go. Okay. He's a wonderful... In the newsroom, he played How I Got to Memphis, and he played and sang it. It's this really lovely scene. Um, the other dumb and dumber bit I love is when he says he desperately wants to make love to a schoolboy. <laughs> He trips on his words and all that sort He's of stuff. He's meant to say, I feel like a schoolboy. <laughs> I haven't seen Dumb and Dumber in, in years. Right. Do it. Do it. It's incredible. Because we're now at the age with, Turbo with, lax. with kids at the ages of 10, 13 and 16, you're trying to think, well, what what movies can we all watch? All watch. Yeah. And, um, and, and every now and again a new movie will come to mind. Because like when we stumbled upon... Um, they're old enough for Ferris Bueller. Yeah, okay. Uh, and and Torrin doesn't have the patience for movies. So when Christian probably watched it when he was about eleven, and he thought it was phenomenal, thought it was the best movie, and and he he just got it. Do you have a kiss for Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it is in their family. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Rooney. <laughs> 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 Like dumb and dumb, like our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> it's so good. It's incredible. Get out of here, man! <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. We're gonna move on. Um, we've got a review from uh, Stevie OC titled "Mr. P." Tim. Oh, hello. Boys, thanks so much for the podcast. It's been great to go on the Blues journey with you the last few years. As a local Warrandyte resident, I represent, uh, yes. represent Up the uh, who went to Doncaster High. It's an amazing listening to the stories from around the local area and, of course, Mings. Listening to the pod is like catching up with mates every week. And a note for Tim, Clive and Mr P always come into the hairdresser that my mum goes to at Tunstall Square. He's a lovely man. He is. Thanks again, Legends. I assume that's the hairdresser at, I want to say, 41 it's at the very, very far end up near... Um, Manos. Yeah, yep. I want to say. Um, good stuff. Thanks for that, Steve. And, of course, if you have not left a rating or review, please do. I'll give you a shout-out on the pod. We'll read it out. Does that, at least, it's the least we can does do. Does that sound agreeable? That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Lovely. Good stuff. Um, we're I'm trying to work out who Stephen O.C. is. And on Twitter. Whether, whether he's my vintage... Uh, given that I'm at Doncaster High School, boys. So. Okay, reveal yourself, Steve. Yeah, show to, us your... <laughs> show us your face. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, whether he's before, after or whatever else. So. Mm. What year were you? I'm class of 93. Okay, well, that'll, that's time stamped you, so he'll be able to now work that out himself. I sat next to you in <laughs> physics, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! We were on the swim team. Um, some printer cast. I'm class of 93 too, St. Clair's Primary. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> I started prep. Wow, did you? Yep. So we're, it's literally because Erin was year seven when I was year twelve. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I don't know what year she. So was. All, she wrapped up in eight, ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah, five years. We're all six years apart. Six years apart. There you go. Um, I've got to do some printer cast pattern now, as we do, because we haven't done that so far. But yep. Have either of you watched the Pat's Dynasty documentary on no. Apple TV? Have no, you watched I the episodes I, I gave you, Tim? Uh, no, I need to watch that. But I we've the Wonka movie has mm. been. Massive in our house. Overrated. I slept through that. See, Elise grew up on the original, um, Gene Wilder, and they would watch it every single Saturday morning. You said this. And and so she would not have a bar of Johnny Depp at all, but uh, Timothy Chalamet? Chalamet. Yeah, yeah, Chalamet. Timothy. Um, She 
she loves it. She really, really enjoys it. I just it. think there's nothing to it. Mm. It's this beautiful looking, empty, soulless kind of movie. I just think there's nothing. I agree with Sean. There. There's no substance to the movie. It's this really slick looking, mm. very impressively presented. I, it's I, like, I, you know, it is, it's fairy floss. It's funnily enough. Also, you can't have. I didn't hate it. A but laundry just, of six employees be held captive by two people. It's just, just it's outrageous. See, but just, sometimes with very fiction, you've got to roll with nah, it. Nah, I'm not rolling with shit. That is very Roll Dali, though, in its own way. This See, idea. And, and my family, like, you know, when he, uh, the three uh, chocolate makers have their drink, the uh, eat the chocolate in the mm. first section, and uh, they're going, oh, my God, you know, this has got this in it. And one of the guy from, I always forget the, the show that Little he's Britain. from. Yeah. Um, and he goes, cherry, <laughs> my kids. Just walk around the house every now and again. And just go, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> so it's I, it's just funny. Like I, hate I, it, I, I agree it. that there does isn't a whole lot of substance to it. And like the nice little bit at the end where he eats the chocolate, his mum and mine had said the most important. It's is. the most telegraph thing in the fucking world, Tim. I was sitting. Mm. There, I get that it's not made for me, but I was sitting there going, didn't see it coming. Didn't wow, see it coming. Are you it was blind? beautiful. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I just thought, and we get to, what I hate too is it's this modern trend of movies where the film is effectively a two-hour ad build up to to a, the moment you want. Yeah, yeah. And the film ends where you want the movie to be. Yeah, and you're like, see, and great. just digressing. When I saw Friday Night Lights the first time, that is movie the di- or TV show. That is the a movie. digression. Yep. And and the whole time you're going, oh well, obviously the Panthers. Oh, no, they're playing the Permian Panthers, aren't they? They uh, who were they? I can't even remember what they're. Or were they? No, no they the, were they're the Permian they're Panthers. The, they're the Panthers. Yeah. They're the Panthers. And you thought that as as the game was going on, it thought, well, of course they're going to score the touchdown and they're going to win and they're going to win the state championship and the whole journey is going to be worth it. And then you get to the end and he comes up short and it's like they didn't win. <laughs> it's like another one of the great. Well, Sports once, movies of all time. Do you watch the TV show? Kingpin. Kingpin is a good movie. Big Earn McCracken rolls the, <laughs> the, the turkey, rolls the three strikes in a row to beat him. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Have you seen the TV show, Friday Night Live? Oh, I haven't. Do I haven't. it. Is it? It's good, is it? <gasps> great see, great see, I was song. I was big on Blue Mountain State when it came out. That was a What about bit... Varsity, what, Varsity Blues? Varsity Blues. Yeah. Yeah. What, is that a Van series now too or is it just a movie? Oh, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think know. so. Yeah, but Friday Night Lights, the TV, the first three seasons are very, very good. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have a crack at it. And they're mm. the Dillon Panthers, though. They're in mm. Dillon, Texas. Of course. Gotcha. Of course. So you've not, you've not watched it? Oh, watched what? The Dynasty or whatever no, it's called. Pat's no, I refuse no. to watch it. You know why it doesn't no, work for like me? Yeah. But like, I had this note here. No, I don't like them. I've got nothing against anyone individually except for Bill. Why? Bill's a prick. Um, oh. Bill's Alistair Clarkson. There's nothing likable about him. He's more charismatic than Clarko. No, he's not. He's, he's a knob. Probably no, needs to watch the series. He's more charismatic than Clarko. Yeah, Come won't, on. won't be watching it. But there's this there's this fascinating thing. I was watching the doco, and there's how they do two at a time, a bit like Last Dance did. And you can't help but compare it to Last Dance because The Last Dance is responsible for this proliferation of more than just 30 for 30 one-offs, mm. this proliferation of six-part, eight-part, and ten-part docu-series. Yep. You know, the, the Lakers had one, I think, a little while ago, um, there's been all I think it was on Disney there's been all but sorts do people have enough content to fill that many episodes like legitimate content so this is the question the Lakers should mm. the Pats should over the course of 25 years but it all just comes off really lightweight and it'd be interesting if any listeners out there have watched it or or across it because all of these hollow last dance wannabes for me at least 
they've all got the the pieces to tell a really compelling story, but they just don't or can't, which just makes makes you watch the last dance or review the last dance, you know, is even more of an Be achievement. Better again, yeah. Because why can this Pat Stocko feel so hollow and rushed and like the Cliff Notes version of the story? When, Cause, when cause, they've got yeah. more at their disposal to tell the story and it's just extraordinary. So I had these notes where I thought the last dance succeeded because of two things. There's a third, but I, I think it would have been successful even without COVID. Like they wouldn't even mm. outside of a COVID environment, it would have still been massively successful. But the two, first thing is the sheer scale of the production and the breadth of the story yep. and just the amount of detail and how dense the show is. It's unbelievable. Every episode has got so much information in it. And there was so much that they missed and as it's, well. But it's so, so well conveyed. Yeah. And the other thing is because it's a time capsule, so if you lived it, you love living it again, and if you didn't, you're yep. like watching it for the first time. Yep. Yep. So those people who were born after Jordan – Watch it and get an appreciation. Those people who live through it all get so to I thought he redo was just it. All. Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they get to redo it again, and then this guy also played basketball. <laughs> he actually went okay. <laughs> thought like, he just made shoes. He'd become this mythologized figure. Yeah. For anyone born after probably two thousand, oh, even like anyone born in the late nineties. Yeah. He'd become this mythologized figure. Who like what was he? Who was he? How good was he? I keep getting told, but I've never really because he existed. You know, in a time no. Pay TV, the broadcast deals weren't what they are now. No YouTube, no social media. So he's perfectly kind of like frozen in time in this really wonderfully innocent media landscape in all kind of way. But and he then, launched so much, didn't he? But this is it. This is the note I've got here is that the second point's important because guys like Brady, Kobe, Tiger, LeBron, Shaq, you know, David Beckham in soccer, Messi, Ronaldo, you can name all of the, the sports greats that follow. Um, all of those who came after Jordan and his Bulls, they all benefited from the landscape that that created. And that's why he's the second greatest athlete of all time, because the first bike did it for everybody. Who are you talking about? Muhammad Ali. Uh, he started it all. Mute me, I'm going to go to the toilet. He started it all. <laughs> but but he created... No, I get it. He, but, cre- but he did exactly the same thing, but he did it 25 years earlier. That is true. But I, and I think I've got, as I said, the note here is that the landscape that Jordan created, <clears throat> both directly and indirectly, in terms of media coverage and, and the public and interest sort of yeah. and the sort of the intersection of pop culture, the success of Jordan and his Bulls absolutely came on the back of the Celtics and the Lakers yep. in the 80s. That, yep. that created, that yep. pushed, and then Jordan kind of went over the top with it all. But the success of the Jordan and the Bulls and the marketability of the individuals and the team and the brand becoming yep. bigger than the city, bigger than the sport. Everything. That paved the way for Manchester United and the Yankees in the 90s. Yep. And then, you know, all the teams that came after that in the 2000s, the Pats. Yep. What they were able to do created this bubble that still hasn't burst. No, that's right. And it's this interesting thing that The Last Dance so perfectly captures all of that and these this Pat Stocker, I'm sitting there going, this is it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. You sit there, I'm watching, I'm going, this is totally okay. You know, in its own sort of way. But it's just got it's just it can't, it just, it just doesn't not, come off in the same way. No. Mm. And maybe that's because, like I said, the innocence of the last dance has got so many fun bits and pieces in it where you're watching it contemporarily and you're watching it shot on video cameras or home movies, maybe. Yeah. Or 
it feels like un, like found footage. Yeah. This treasure trove of we didn't get to see this. We didn't get to see them inside the Berto Centre. We didn't get to see them back of house at the United Centre. Whereas now, like even at Box Hill, the stuff I do, it's like, yeah, we'll walk out with them. We'll get a – Yeah, it's access all areas. We'll get a little gimbal. I'll, it's, we'll, it's a retrospective access all areas yeah. is, is, is what it actually it's ended up being. the cover being taken off. Correct. The beautiful car in the barn. You're like, fuck. Yeah, and, and the best thing is Jordan was everything – uh, that he was always billed to be and probably more over again. It's the great, what did he say? I was re-watching it again the other day and there's that bit where <clears throat> they're talking about his marketability and he goes, well, my game if is if I'm scoring two points and getting three rebounds a night, he goes, no one wants a bar of me. No. no one, Gatorade and McDonald's and Nike and they don't want to, they don't want anything to do with me. Yeah. You know, it's, and he's, he's absolutely spot on. Timbo, we're going to move on and whilst um, Fabaganoush is uh, – I assume he's having a shit. Um, <clears throat> you're our subject for the on-the-spot top five. <coughs> scares me already. So, <laughs> we introduced this in the Christmas episode. I don't know if we'll do it every single week, but the idea is that whenever we do one of these, one of us will be given an on-the-spot top five. You don't have to rank it five, four, three, two, one. You can just give us five, however you want to approach it. When we did Fab as the first one, his was top five female vocalists. Yep. Um, and he... He made a bit of a hash of it. I mean, he gave us his five, but it was strange and unexpected. Your five, Tim, is I want you to give me your top five Olympic moments. Ooh, are we? We are in an Olympiad, of course, and you are a massive Olympics man. So I and want is that you to, me personally? You personally. And, and so my your, – your, what, what impacted me the most? What your, your – and you can interpret it however you want, and that's the beauty of this segment. You can – whatever your top five personal Olympic moments are, whether it's for personal significance, you love the achievement, the story, how do you want to rank it? Look, you've, you've given me a task uh-huh. because cause I've, got, I've, got, um, I've got a few things that are, are flooding through immediately. Um. Because there's little things that tickled my fancy along the way. Um, I, I will always say the most elation that a single sporting event ever has given me was the men's 400 metres freestyle relay at the 2000 Olympic Games. Unbelievable. Um, because America was unbeatable. That they and, and in fact, on paper, they shouldn't have been beaten. And, and Had all, never lost the event. Correct. And the arrogance that... Um, um, Gary Hall Jr. carried himself with, he would have carried anyway, but he also knew what he had in his armoury and he just said, we're not going to lose. And in the end, we performed above expectations and we gave ourselves a shot. And ironically, it was Ian Thorpe swimming down Gary Hall, but it was Americans always, because they do swim a lot of relays in the NCAA system mm. and they always try and lead and dominate the race. Fab's rejoined us. Sorry, the top five this week is Tim's top five Olympic moments. <coughs> Number, what are we up to? Well, no, I'm just, just saying my, my first, and I'm not necessarily doing an order, but we're saying the men's four by 100 metres freestyle oh, relay. I still reckon it's slap your jets. You've got to put it in an order. No. You well, can do it afterwards. Look, look, after, I, I, after I might be able to do it, it afterwards. But yeah. that, for me, that event, our pool, their event, unbelievable. Our goal. Is this the smash them? Our goal. Gary Hall Jr. got out in front, he and, did, and, he, and he's a front 50 swimmer. And Ian thought was a 400 metre swimmer that swam a 200 really, really well and could fashion a competitive 100. Well, Gary Hall goes past him like 
yo. He's in Winburn. He's given him Winburn. Yeah. However, he left himself self-exposed and um, Thorpe did what Thorpe only knows how to do, but his ability – like, and he was a pretty introverted kind of a guy and he had his demons. You know, he's, he's, he's long said he never thought that Australia's sporting hero could be gay. So he – he knew that he was, but he just said, "I can't be, can't be the person I want to be because Australia's not ready to embrace that person," which to me is just a tragedy. I think it's more in the actual. I can understand his rationale thinking that way during a career because yes. you don't want it to be a distraction. That's exactly you right. You don't want the story to be about that. That's exactly right. But as he proved, and that to me, like I remember being twelve years old, and I would love to get people talk about the Matildas and their viewing numbers and whatever these sports are. I cannot possibly imagine that, like, the data must be wrong or the the recording methods must be antiquated, must be ineffective. Some of those, Kathy Freeman's 400 final and that men's 4 by 100 and Thorpe's 400 final and the 200 final against Peter Van den Hugenband, et cetera, I fucking – I can't have that there wasn't every television set in Australia watching those events. Mm. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, I, can't I, have I, I remember exactly where I was – the night Kathy won. Yep, and and I I'm gonna. <laughs> I really love my sport, and there's so much emotion. Is that one of the moments, Kathy's win? Well, it has to be. It has to be. And and there was a thing on Twitter during the week. That's, Dave, that's the number one moment in Australian sport. I think the four by one hundred is the better moment from that well, Olympics. That, that the, I've got that at three. Well, the saddest thing about it all is when you look at that field. Mm-hmm. Not Ka- a great field. Kathy was unbeatable. Like there there were there was literally. I understand if that. Any one but of the those weight, seven runners, the of an entire absolutely. nation is on it. But the seven runners, if either of them won it, ran a career peak, they probably still weren't going to beat her. If she was second or third favourite, it's home track, home crowd. You can do it, Kathy. You can do it, and yeah. we get her over a lot. Then it's that's good. But the, so when you're when you're the favourite, yeah. and it's your home, it's your home Great Olympics, moment. and you're a wonderful there, moment. The pressure on her, yeah. Because if you ever go back and you watch her run against Marie-José Perec four years earlier, she ran 48-8, I think, or 48-6 even, um, to finish second to Perec. And we've always talked about, you know, the world record is held by uh, an East German runner who was clearly on drugs. And so Marie-José Perec, she is the greatest female 400-metre runner of all time. And it's not a spe- the only person who could get close is Olga Brigina from Russia. <laughs> Who, who, I love this. So who, I love it. What have I done? <laughs> and I think she might have won 88, but she was late in her career then. Uh, and, you know, she missed 84 with a a, um, a boycott and all that sort of stuff. So, like, coming into the 90s and 2000s where we suddenly had everybody at the table and competing, the Olympics took it – like, it became less political and it all went to another level again. But Perek was phenomenal and Cathy's run behind Perek – and, and you're talking about a woman who was like nearly 6'2 versus little Cathy, you know, to, for her to be able to go toe-to-toe with her. Perek won, but Cathy was phenomenal. Four years later, Cathy's run and her performance was nowhere near as good as what she did four years earlier, but the what she carried, mm. the weight of a nation that she carried well, and the, the pressure that came with it was, was is, massive. Is about track athletics, probably more than swimming, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but it feels like track athletics on the day in the big finals, world champs, Olympics – you don't – the likelihood that you have to break the world record to win the final is pretty slim. Oh, that's right. Whereas in the Olympics, in the swimming, yeah. the likelihood of you having to come close to or break the world record to win the gold medal yeah. is 
a lot higher. Well, once upon a time they talked about the men's four hundred, uh, the the men's hundred meter um, dash. They actually said it was harder to make the American team yes. than it was to win a medal at the Olympics because they had eight and ten runners that were mm. all running sub ten seconds, and you had to be on on your day just to make you t- make the team. Once you got there, it was party time because you're going to win the relay. Whoever wins the medals is what it is, but you just win the relay. So. You just have to basically – on the track um, and even the field stuff, it's like you only have to beat your opponents on the day. It's well, the Italians. The Italians. <laughs> you have to run run the race strategically that is run yeah. to win the race. And the 100, 200, maybe less so, but the 400, the 800, the 15s, et cetera, yep. is governed by there's a bit of psychology. We all go out. How hard do we want to go out, et cetera, et cetera. Move on, Tim. Um, I'm an emotional kind of a person and uh, a lot of people will probably poo-hoo it and say it's not that big of a moment, but Derek Redmond at the Barcelona Olympics. With his dad? With his dad. Unbelievable. So, so he was a great Britain runner. He was. A, they said that he was a brilliant junior 400-metre runner um, and he'd put, rec- he'd put performances on the table three and four years earlier to be mm. able to say this guy's going to be a part of it, but he'd had a lot of hamstring issues and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, gets to the Olympics – He's in the form of his life and he runs the back straight and he tears his hamstring and, and does a really good job of it. It's not a lot of little <laughs> Nick. He, he really does it. And and he, he It's where his dad comes out the grand Correct. And, yes, and he's there, he's down it. on one knee and he's crying. Like because he knew he knew what it's he, over. It, it, the dream is over. Yeah, it's over. And then he finally says, I'm finishing. And it's a little bit like, you know, the end of cool runnings and all that sort of stuff, you know, I have to finish the race. <laughs> And he starts hopping along and all that sort of stuff. He's going to lose it. And for those that, gonna for lose those it. that haven't seen He's it and you it. have to watch it, his dad, who's not allowed in the stadium, <laughs> jumps the fence. He does not have track access. No, and he comes like... He's allowed in the stadium. He's not allowed on the track. <laughs> He's not on the track. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of him at the gate. In some countries <laughs> no you do evidence. that, yet there's every chance you might get shot. But anyway, <laughs> he runs onto the track and and he grabs his son and he's, he puts his arm around him and he carries him and... And then the funniest thing is there's this Spanish official who I mean, tries there's two, to there's two try, officials. They try to usher him off the track and it's sort of like, you're a fucking idiot because the there is possibly one of the most um, humanitarian... You it's know, what the Olympics is about. It's exactly right. Pierre, it, the, Pierre de Coubertin could yeah, not have correct, possibly imagined this. scripted it better. And then in the end, they finally, you know, he gets him across the line and he just, and he further breaks down. And evidently, you know, he has made a career... Doing the speaking circuits, talking yeah, about yeah. it, and all that sort of stuff. But it is—it's possibly the greatest sporting moment you've ever seen. What and, I love, and, and, and it's failure. What I love about—it's a great example—is the whole thing where he, his dad comes out, and it's the, the first marshal, and then there's someone else later. It's like get the fuck out of it. Yeah. It's like read the room. Going, he's not coming out to assault him. Going, he's there's clearly something here, and surely you can watch it go. It's having no effect on the race. Blah blah blah. Just read the moment. But yep. overly officious fucking dickheads. Uh, they're all like it. Umpires, everyone. It's like just <laughs> you don't have to be involved. Yep, yep. Um, I'll Continue, give, Tim. I'll give you another one, and it's and it's a. How little, many are you up to? No, I've done three. I've got two to go, and I have to be really, really selective now. Just when you watch a lot of sport like me, there, there's there was one that I love, um, and it was '92 as well. That the the arrow into the cauldron? No, 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 no. That so, was this, un, That is still balls of steel. So and, cool. and they've gone. 
And I know they had a backup, and they've got a switch that. The, just if, lo- if the arrow got to within a thousand meters, the arrow of that goes cauldron. over it and goes out the back. But how much gas was pouring out of the cauldron? Because obviously <laughs> they've got to fire it over yeah. the top, and all it has to do is they'd light ha- it. That have an ignition in there. Too. The guy, was, sure the guy was like high and holding the thing. He's losing it. We had that thing that kind of struggled to get up and whatever, and everyone else has tried to, you know. Well, Kathy spot- should have fucking thrown a boomerang at the oh. fucking. It, then have it swing oh. around, come we'll back on fire yeah. and catch it. Yeah. Like, we assume yeah. Kathy knows how to throw it. <laughs> um, <coughs> they've gone and tried to do all this spectacular. It will never be beaten. That is the greatest the lighting. with the fucking arrow. Yeah. And he just lines up and you're like, he's going to do this. Because at the time, it's like we're all, what's going on? Yeah. This guy. Incredible. He's, and I was at pro- uh, the day after, I remember, you're at school and you go, did you see him? I was like, that. That's the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. Yep. So what happened at the Olympics since? So uh, in '92, it's um, it's the men's 400 hurdles, and there was a fellow by the name of Kevin Young, and Kevin Young um, came at the very, very end of the dominance of Edwin Moses, and Edwin Moses completely re-revolutionised <laughs> the 400 hurdles. <laughs> Why is Tim not on the Olympic coverage? I don't know. But but basically, if you watch the hurdles, the challenge is. How many strides do you do between um, each hurdle? And Edward Moses changed it that he was a he was a longer striding guy, so he could get around the track with fewer steps. But you were kind of you were having to be balanced, but work really hard to hit the hurdle each time. And and he just he took seconds off world records and and completely changed the race. And then Kevin Young came along, and he was he wasn't as well known, um, but he he. He ran the perfect race, and he blows the field away. And like you're hurting at the end of a, it's a hard, hard event. And he gets to the end, and he crosses the line, and he smashed the world record. Like he took about point three of a second off it, which in athletics terms is big. And he runs over the line. He's pretty gassed, and he goes ten meters past the line, and then he jumps up like he's going to dunk the basketball, and he does a big fist pump, and then he just sort of walks off with a bit of a strut and all this stuff. And it was just. Everything that he did it's to me was the, plan. The, the height of cool, and he executed the plan. And again, if you said to anybody non-athletics who is Kevin Young, there is not a single person on the street that would know. Only a fucking idiot like me mm. would be aware of him. But if you go back and you watch the race and you watch the way that he did it and the reaction afterwards, you've gone, yeah, he was number one. We're going to talk a bit about it later on, got a note. But it's that taking down, well, you're not here to win silver. Yeah. If you're here to... So, I mean, in fairness, some athletes are a medal's an unbelievable achievement. Yep. But if you're here to mix it with the best, and you got to beat, you got to beat old mate. Yep. How do I beat him? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, I've got to, I've got to run this race. I've got to run this time. Yep. It's like, well, how do I do that? And how do I get to that point? And then you train and train and train. You execute it on the day, and you go, yeah, here we go. Yeah. There's actually a story of a bloke who raced Edwin Moses, and he would actually follow. He was, I think, he was American as well. He would run everywhere where Edwin Moses would run. And he was just always, he just, his his life's work. He would shower with him. No, his life's work was to beat Edwin Moses. Because Holy Moses. He was, he was the top of the tree. He was he was Rushmore, all four faces were Edwin <laughs> They're just Moses. different expressions. <laughs> yeah. um, and his name was Andre someone, and I, I apologise. that Well, he was an American guy. Oh. And, uh, but he, he, he. Johnson. He went, it might actually be. Anyway, went everywhere that he went. And then finally, and it might have even been the 88 Olympics, and again, don't quote me on it. In he, Seoul. He raced him and he beat him. And it was the first and only time he ever beat him. 
and I think in the end he almost felt bad that he beat him because it was sort of like, you know, this was... I've literally been chasing this man. I've been chasing... The, and, and when he finally did it, it was almost like I, I felt He's like I shot Goddard Bambi. and broken down. Yeah, yeah. You know what he is, After so, beating St. Kilda, he goes, I just hate to see him lose. I said, well, <laughs> You're in the wrong game then. You're in the yeah. wrong game. <laughs> no, but it's it's that, yeah, you chase and you chase and you chase and then when the dog chasing cars, you go, what would you do if you caught it? And he finally catches him and it's like, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Last one, Tim. See, this is where it gets hard. There's going to have to be a couple of honourable mentions. Just give it to Kieran Perkins. Well, Kieran Perkins is one of them, but he didn't actually swim that Fast on the day, but it was he, he was in lane eight. Well, he, well, he actually, do you know that he actually made the final by one? He was nearly, he was one, nearly he, swimming. He made it by one one hundredth of a second on the pool deck. Yeah, in the heat, he was against a, a German swimmer named Stefan Pfeiffer, and he out sprinted Pfeiffer at the end of what ended up being quite a slow heat. Made the final, but made it by one one hundredth of a second. So if he doesn't get his touch right, Pfeiffer's in lane eight. We never <laughs> even have the moment, and Kowalski probably wins the event and probably swims five seconds quicker than what Kieran actually swam in the final. But that's a whole other story. But, uh, but yeah, ballsy from lane eight to put it on the line and, and he, he swam. It was almost a sacrificial race. Like he went out harder than he was probably capable of, but he broke the race open. He broke everybody else's spirit. He had them mentally and then he was, able, he was mm. tough enough to be able to finish off and get there. So from a, like you said, you don't always – like usually at the Olympics, you don't have to break a world record to win. You've just got to be able to Particularly deliver the, the performance distances. on the day. Absolutely. What's the time? How How's this race going to be swum? Yep. How can I manage that pace? Yep, yep. Et cetera. So what are um, you going for? Look, ultimately to me, and they talk about it as being the dirtiest race in history, <laughs> the – because the, they basically say seven You're of talking the, about the 88 100. 88 yeah. 100. They reckon seven of the eight finalists all tested positive <laughs> eight, to something at some point in time. And eight of the eight were on it. If Carl Lewis is drugged to eyelids. T- tested positive earlier to a stimulant and all that sort of stuff. That, that, that's how the story mm. plays out. There is a book called The Dirtiest Race in History, and it's all about it. And they reckon the only bloke that had never tested positive was a bloke named Calvin Smith from the United States. And he finished like fourth or something like that. Um, and when you actually look at him, he's quite small, he's quite slight, he's not built like some of the other guys, and evident, evidently they said they reckon he was the he was the only clean guy in the field. That's the drama of it as well, isn't it? That's Correct. the Unfortunately, to use the word, it's the dirty side of, yeah. but it's still sort of this captivating, Absolutely. fascinating, how the far yeah. are you prepared to go, Correct. have and, to and go. And the world record going in was 9.83, which was Ben Johnson that he, he uh, did at Rome in the World Championships the year before. And then in the final, he ran 9.79. And this is the biggest match race in history, as good as the other six blokes were. It was Ben versus yeah, Carl. Yeah, but the golden boy. It's the American's golden oh, boy. they loved him. Beat. And he, and he and won his four why. gold medals at the previous Olympics. And Ben came out and Ben obliterated him. But the one thing, and it struck me at the time, was... Ben he, had the crazy eyes, didn't he? Well, they were yellow. That's yeah. that's one of, the, one of the things that Carl Lewis said. I knew he was on drugs because his eyes were yellow. But but when Ben crosses the line, he crosses the line with just a finger in the air and there was no histrionics, there was no celebrating, there was no nothing. And I just thought, you've climbed the mountain on the highest, on the biggest stage of all time. <clears throat> and I, I, I thought, why didn't you celebrate? Like, And I've always been a little bit, you know... Um, uh, extroverted and all that sort of stuff, I'd go... Uh, the yellow bathers were at least a team costume, but I had no problem wearing them. Um, but um, 
I'm doing a lap of honour. I'm going bananas. I'm, I, I, I probably would have sprinted another lap afterwards and let the whole world know. How much of it is relief, though? There would have to be a lot of In it. terms of it's over yeah. yep. and I've won and whatever. You're sort of and, like, and, and as you say, okay. we, I, and I think that's possibly what fed into it too. When you've done it clean and you've worked your ass off and everything has come together, there's, that, there's probably that moment of satisfaction that says it was all worth it. But you, you probably want to celebrate. Like, but the adrenaline release, I think, would either manifest as pure elation and euphoria yeah. or you're drained. Well, Laurie, relief. Laurie like, Lawrence right. was seen by a lot as a, a bit of a nutcase, but they went into in the plan. They said, He was a nutcase. He was a nutcase. Fence the pool, but, shut but the we, gate. But, yeah. was, that, was that him? That's all about saving that was good kids' stuff, lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah and I'm saying, but that's him. Yeah? That's him. Yeah. But he, he coached Duncan Armstrong and they said to win the Olympic gold medal, you have to beat Matt Biondi and Mikhail Gross. And so what he did was he got an, an American <laughs> flag and he got a West German flag and he would do sit-ups and push-ups on the flag and it, for, for like the four years leading up to it or the two years leading up to it. And, and he's basically pulled it out before the event. And that, you can imagine they were, would have been stinky and smelly and, you know, they'd, they'd you know, faded and mm. all that sort of stuff. But he, he basically said to him, this is what you've done. And, and on the day, Biondi was the 100-metre world record holder, Gross was the 200-metre world record holder, and there was a Polish bloke named Arta Wojdat who was the 400 world record holder. <laughs> Sorry, I can listen to you say names <laughs> anyway, all day. And all it, these names might be made up. No, no, but he wins the race, and, and that was the day that he slapped Stephen Quartermain. Love it. And, and and he slaps him and he goes, three world record holders. We beat three world record holders. Steve Quartermain's like, what just bananas. And, and, and the funniest thing him? is Steve Quartermain let him – he slapped him twice too. That's the best. <laughs> he goes, what do you think? Yeah, we come here for the silver. Stuff the silver. We come for the gold. And, he, and he's, wild. he's absolutely wild. But it was the going in with the – you know, the plan, do the work, all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, when you climb the mountain, I expect to see the emotion. When I didn't see it from Ben, it perplexed me. And two days later, he tested positive and everything that it was. And, and you know, ultimately, he said it makes sense. But in the moment Pandora's and in the race, had been opened. as it was happening, you're watching it. You know, I think 10 minutes earlier, Stephen Smith from Melbourne had uh, ducked a, a high ball in the 88 grand final. And, um, and Melbourne ended up getting beaten by like 90 points. So there was far better action on. What's that got to do with Ben Johnson? Timbo. It was the same day. It was the same day. You've pulled off. On a tangent, fifteen that, minutes of the most extraordinary podcasting we've ever been exposed. That is to. the greatest. I can listen to you name athletes from the Eastern Bloc for about three hours. Probably another one second. We're going to move on. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent, Tim. That was the top five. Tim's top five Olympic moments. If you have a Olympic moments, I'll, I'll have missed a few that mean a lot to others. But, but in, this is, in the moment, in but it's, yeah. But your list. Yeah. Get in touch with Tim if you've got musings of your own. But yeah, watch Kevin Young and tell me what you reckon because I he he. Love Kevin Young. Okay. Very good value. So we're going to move on now to our preseason musings, football proper. Um, so just before we get started, the standard preseason rider. Yes, it is only preseason. No, it probably means little. We aren't getting carried away. We aren't jumping to conclusions. And part of that's because the 2005 Wizard Cup Grand Final was maybe the best game of football that year. Like, quite seriously. <laughs> You're right. In terms of, for, from, from our point of view. No, me. like in terms of the most watchable, entertaining, well-played games of football in 2005, the Wizard Cup Grand Final, pound to pound, stacks up with all of them. It's a phenomenal game of football. The result meant fucking nothing. Yeah. So It was know, literally the best side in the comp versus the worst side in the comp. 
Exactly right. So we can only talk about the games that we've seen us play so far in 2024, and it is all a bit, um, it's all a bit meh, to be honest. Very, very meh. Um, what does that mean? Let's talk about it now. So what did we make of it all? I'll open it up to the floor. What did we make of our two preseason games? I can. All right, you go to it. Well, it's it's hard to know, as you said, because when you look back at past year's results and all that sort of stuff. You know that it doesn't mean anything. But coming off a season where there was two definitive Carltons, the Carltons that just didn't get the job done versus the Carlton that took the game on and was really exciting to watch and full of energy and effort. and I guess we kind of wanted the, the, the switch flicked and going, just give us exactly what you finished the year off with and... and pump that straight into my vein straight away and we haven't gotten it. And and you sit there and you go, oh, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. What what does it mean? Where are we at? Because we've all come into this season saying we're, we are contenders. Yep. And in the two games that I watched, with the exception of watching Harry Mackay fucking dominate, and he looks just amazing at the moment, um, it, it was a bit meh. And 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 I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but you want to be able to see what you want to see, and from an eye test perspective, you know the jury's out. There's an alchemy to football, isn't there, Fab? There's this sort of mad science to can you pull the levers? Can you, Doctor Frankenstein in the in the castle there? Mm-hmm. Can you pull the levers? Can you recreate the formula? Can you bring all the pieces together? We were able to, by this end of the 2023 season, get all of those things happening for us. And the question is, and I don't use the word concern, the question for us is, can we find that formula again? Mm. Is, it, is it easily remanufactured? Mm. What, what I saw at the back end of last year was a Carlton side that was really up for a fight. And in a scrap or in a, in, in a in a fight, we were we had that ability to almost bash our way to victory, if that makes sense. And that's not taken away from the fact that you know we could play some really attractive football. But then you hit a preseason where everything's a bit more open, a bit more free flowing, a, a bit less combative. Yeah. And I don't know if that five percent meant that we just looked off. Now, I take nothing from the first um, from the first game against who do we play? Geelong, Long, yeah, yeah, because that was all a bit. You know, I, I can still. There's elements of still training, very hot, very uncomfortable match simulation yeah, in that. Rusty, but you look at the second rusty. game. Rusty, <laughs> Russ, your feet. Um, <laughs> the second game against Melbourne, though, you. You would expect a bit more of a dress rehearsal. Yeah, there will be elements that uh, don't come off, but I don't see how not playing, how we all expect us to play in round one, zero, whatever you want to call it, is going to aid us. Beautiful. That's that's sort of my query. I've got I've had some little bullet points written down and sort of segued beautifully into them. The query for me, and I don't know the answer to this question, so against Melbourne, were there levers on the night against Melbourne we could have pulled and would have pulled in a match for points? 
were there things that the coaches could have done, would have done, would have said that we just didn't because, and this happens in preseason, you want to see how the players react on their own. There's nothing up for grabs. There's no result on the line. Can the players work it out for themselves? Can they fall back to, you know, lessons and teachings that we've been running throughout the preseason? Yeah, Fab gets that. He's, he's done exactly what we've been talking about. Or do you keep it as a teachable moment so you can replay it on the two, the, whenever they debrief the game? Mm-hmm. Fab, this is what we've been speaking about, doing this, doing that. You didn't do this on this occasion. We need to make sure we get it right. Because that's, that's helpful. You need those moments. We didn't seem to use Wednesday. Did you play Wednesday? Whatever yes, night Wednesday it was. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, yeah. We didn't seem to use it as that word, you dress rehearsal. No. So it's sort of like in the end, without knowing what our philosophy going into the match was, it's kind of hard to make sense of what we were hoping to get out of the match because on face value, no one's putting a line through us because we didn't play well against Melbourne in a practice match. But on face value, like we just – we didn't look very good. We didn't look very slick. We – Looked a bit disjointed still in, in the areas. A weedering loss looks massive. I commented. From the ball, we looked messy. And we played without. I said to Timbo. Hutzpah. Like, there was just, there was no. And that's again. I, I, I think there was it, vim and is vigor. Is it because it's February? I went Maybe. back and watched. Be. I went back and watched it. And there's. This is a man who is so unbelievably brave. And I'm not just talking about on the footy field, but off it as well. I went back and I watched Sam Doherty at a few contests and it reeked of, I'm not risking my season for this game. He, it, 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 a couple of times, he would have been first to the ball, yet knew there would be contact. And in a game, that's his. And he's like, no. Nah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not singling him out or, or criticising oh, him at all. And you never would. But there was, elements, there was elements of... Preservation. I am a self-preservation. I am not risking... 2024 on a 35 degree night in Melbourne. No. And who, in a were, and who game. were we playing? We were playing Melbourne. Yeah. Part of Melbourne. And, and, and so, what, and this is the point I want to make is Melbourne got knocked out of the finals by us by two points. They were beaten in the qualifying final by seven points by the eventual Premier Collingwood. And in both games, had more scoring shots than both of us. So, it was a season that didn't deliver on the promise and the capability and the possibility that they had. And 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 yeah, you know, they were they were mishandling Brody Grundy the whole way through, paying him the well, they weren't paying the full million dollars of his contract or nine hundred thousand of his contract and all that sort of stuff. But like what they had on field and the capability of what they could have been like that was they've that was full dress rehearsal for they, them. They they looked but, a little bit more a, up but, for it. But they also are coming off the back of a drug issue, which how far it extends throughout their whole mm. playing and coaching list possibly remains to, to be seen. Um, Max Gorn has sat in front of the media all week and had to bat for his whole team and the whole organisation and the whole culture. His mentality on the night it, was He played telling. like a man possessed. He was. He, 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 he was unbelievable. He was, apparently he was, had to be held back. On Correct. The, on, like he kept wanting to go back on. And poor Pitto... Is underdone going into round one. He's gone up against the human wrecking ball. That was a tough but ask was, for Pitto. And, and I was disappointed in Pitto's output and his performance. Yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on this but later. That was but a difference but in, there's a couple of asterisks next uh, to that, so I'm, I'm not throwing That again. was a difference in philosophy between the two teams. And this, again, is not a criticism. It's an observation. It was full dress rehearsal. Melbourne looked a little bit more serious yep. in terms of using Wednesday night to really get A, B and C out of the game. 
real practical, measurable uh, results and performances individually and collectively. Whereas we sort of looked like, you know, I'm here because I don't, so I don't get fined. We're, we're going to mm. turn out, and what do we want to get thing, out of it? Sure. The thing with us. This, this, and we could be wrong. Maybe we yeah. were, maybe we were treating it like a full dress rehearsal. It just didn't come together. Yep. Um, well, I don't think we treated it as a full dress rehearsal because I commented to Tim on the night. We seem to be using half a ground, reluctant to use any corridor, and we're out on one wing, which always seemed to be the wing where we, we weren't, weren't sitting. <laughs> so we saw very little up up close and personal. But I don't know if. And I, I pray to God that's not a directive. Um, or, or sorry, I pray to God it was a directive of let's try and use half a ground, play through congestion, and see how we deal with it, knowing that ultimately that's not what we'll be doing. Although I don't get the reasoning behind it, that's what my hope is. But when you play in that manner against the most organised, now they are by far the most organised team defensively in the competition, Melbourne. Well, and having May not, and Lever structurally behind the ball. They know where they are. They set up fantastic. Yeah. Now, we I'm never, that semi-final for me is one of the great days of my life. But they take opportunities. They had a chance to put us well and truly away. They had the same against Collingwood. So take their forward line issues out. I still, I think they are the best side structurally in the comp. They are very well organised. I agree with that. And I saw a method to what how they went about it, about trying to change their forward fifty entries. So that's why I think it was important for them for the, that whole full dress rehearsal because there's an element to their game that they know is missing. Now we are pretty much set in the way we want to play whether it's going to win us a flag or not, but that's with this playing group, I think Vossi's gone. This is how we're going to play. Yep. And some teams want to be guarded as well at this time of year, and some teams want to be more overt in um, displaying to the football public, this is what we've been working on. Well, Melbourne's shown This is hand. what we've fixed. Yeah. Whereas some teams famously, Paul Roos, famously. Well, they'd never do anything. That was when they played three and four, and he'd, get, they'd get, he'd have his teams be knocked out immediately, so they were playing off-Broadway. Yeah. And, and they'd play just kids. Just kids. And but famous. He's a great example of, I'm not interested in the preseason and wins and losses and being shown to have done this and this and this. Mm. Moving on very quickly um, in terms of something else I want to talk about. I mentioned Jacob Wiedering. So in terms of musings from the preseason, um, as if we needed any proof, we are incredibly vulnerable without mm. Jacob Wiedering. Um, and we need him back as soon as is practical and possible. I'm... I stop short of saying we can't win without him. And I mean games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying the flag because yeah. he, he's not going to miss the whole year. Yeah. But our ability to compete when he is not on the field. Um, Brody looks severely undersized. Is an issue. Yeah. And, and look, you've got a March Bank who's available. Well, when we're up and going, mm-hmm. a, a March Bank can be another option down there. Lewis Young oscillates violently between his best and his I worst. I had no in idea games. what he was doing yeah. on, on Wednesday. Because when he gets it right and he's either marking or punching, he looks great. Was he. It felt to me that Brody was told to. He was to stay at home. 
and Lewis Young was on the move a Floater. bit more, a bit more yeah. of a flow. Yet, I think Lewis Young needs to be given a task. He is. I agree. Simplify. Well, he's what two hundred and one centimeters. Like he's a great size. Like, but I, yeah. But when the ball came inside, I never really saw him in a position to really affect the contest. Yeah. Whereas Brody was there, he was just severely under. He was just getting. Well, I think bashed. I think Brody's just a better footballer, and he he reads it better. But he's a second or third. He's a second or third tall oh, defender. Right. He's yeah. not. What is he? He's one eighty nine. Is mm. he one ninety? Then you have the whole. What do we miss from a? You know, a marshalling point of view, a setup, and, and the the ability to control <coughs> the team that Jacob brings, and, and that's where, of course, you know, maybe um, maybe Doc needs to be there mm. from that point of view. If Jacob's not, um, so Weedering not being there is its own type of problem because it obviously means we're going to leak more scores, which means we need to kick more scores to cover him at yeah. the other end, and then that leads us to the other end. Um, Jesus, we still don't look to have um, a very reliable or repeatable method in terms of our our front sort of half, whether it be entry, structure, you know, where are we getting shots from, all sorts of different things. Um, we've got these two key pieces, which just about every other team in the competition would give their left leg for, and we can't seem to figure out how they fit together. I agree. However, coming up against a Melbourne, if you, if, if as a casual advert, uh, observer you looked at our forward line and said, um, they don't look that great, I think that Melbourne back line is going to make plenty of forward lines look not that great. And I think when we come up against others, like... I've never seen Harry Mackay move as well as what he was moving the we'll other get night. Him. And Charlie, Charlie is just pure X factor, and I think he May's a bad matchup for him. Oh well, he is exactly right because for some reason, some reason he's still wanting to wrestle a May. It's like you don't no. want to be. No one and wants the, to be Tim, wrestling get, Stephen May. Get on your Brock bike. No, this is it. No, no, this is it. Oh, oh, no, he's been excommunicated, Brock. Has he? Well, yeah. The, the Vince McMahon thing, he was roped into it. Well, Fa- Fabian just made the point saying the only bloke that can wrestle Stephen May is Brock Lesnar. We, we need to recruit him for our No, I said, I said, I started off with the Pitto thing, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but I said to Timbo, everyone knows where I stand with Pitnet. And when he plays well, I will give him the, his just credit. But Tim commented on Wednesday night. He said, oh, you know, he's just in there to provide a body and to, you know, I said, yeah, but if you need someone just to bash into people, I said, well, just recruit Brock Lesnar to play in the ruck. Yeah, if you can find him, he's out in Montana wilderness laying low. <laughs> find a safe house, lay low for a while. So he's implicated in the... Uh... Yeah, I don't want to get into it too much because I don't know the ins and outs of it, but the whole Vince McMahon sex trafficking situation with a woman on the staff and he was offering her to Brock Lesnar and part of it reads a bit like I'm not defending anyone bear in mind but when you read some of the stuff it's not good part of it reads like Brock sort of he requested a photo of her pissing on something or some or video or whatever but part of it reads like Vince is sending Brock these like messages that oh you could have her if you come back and Brock's sort of going oh yeah no, that sounds good Vince yeah yeah just sort of like yeah he's not going to go fucking shut up you weirdo you weirdo he's going yeah yeah that's good yeah yeah it looks good Vince yeah yeah sure thing just give me the money and I'll come back 
So it's a, it's a weird one like that. We're not making any excuses for anyone. Vince McMahon is an old, creepy man. This is not new information, by the way. No. He's been a main character on a TV show for 25 years. Everyone's seen all of it. He's not playing a character. No, it's it's Mr. McMahon. That's who he is. Um, we'll get to Pito and all that stuff later. Yeah. But maybe I'm just dumb, but I watch us play and I sort of can't really – they would call this in soccer, what's your pattern of play? And that's the criticism of Manchester United is that Eric Ten Hag's now at, what, nearly two seasons and it's kind of like, yes, you've got injuries. Yes, you've got problems with personnel generally. Yes, the squad is its own problem. But – you still get outplayed by inferior teams mm. and you still make heavy weather of beating middle of the road or poor teams. Why is that? What is your pattern of play? Because you watch like we do every week and you're kind of going, I can't see this repeatable, discernible method. Talking about Manchester United. Mm. And with us, it's a bit the same. It's like, so what are we trying to do? How do we try to – what's our DNA? What's our ball movement? What's something that we just do again and again and again and again and again? And it doesn't need to work every single time, but we can execute it. It's look, our DNA is contest, contest, and be able to win contests, break away, and then utilize space out from that. And that's why I think we play wide to force a contest, to then have the ability to go out the contest through the middle and into forward fifty, and that's fine. But you need to have other elements. And I'm, I, I, look, we do. We saw that. We've got other elements. But I said this last season, and this is kind of like a microcosm of, of the way we, we play. When we kick in, we've got no creativity, no imagination because it's just... It's just we go have. short to the pocket or long to the flank. Yeah. And that's it. Because that's, that's where we're playing down. We're going to go down that wing. We're either going to get a boundary thrown or a ball up. And then we launch from there. And that's like... Or defend oh, from there as needed. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I don't mind that 70% of the time because start of the year when everyone's a bit more fresh and up and about, yeah, we might get exposed a bit. But then as the season wears on... And you get better at it. We're going to bash our way yeah. through teams. Yeah. And we have that, and that's where... Cripper is underrated by many. Not, I don't think by Carlton's, that what he and a George Hewitt can do on the inside, and even a Chera, to feed the elite that we have now developing on the outside. I understand that's what we want to do, but we need that 30% to be... It's a hard way to play footy. Takes I think, it out I, of you. I, 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 think, I, think, I think it's our DNA. Sydney did it. And and even then, you and know, do you know what? At times, it's it's not a brand of football you want to watch, but well, it's not full Ross Lyon, but it's not entirely dissimilar. It, it's you, it's going to be an arm wrestle at times. You mentioned launch before, Fab, and I've got the note here about a different kind of launch. Is so our launch zone into fifty inside forward fifty. What is that supposed to be? Because our entries are either way too shallow. So it means you can't really lock the ball in, you can't create pressure, you can't create a, a repeat. Or they're way too deep, which means they're actually easy to defend. You can spoil, you can rush, you can find the boundary mm. line. What's our launch zone? Because your launch zone probably needs to be 
75 metres from goal. Yep. So you can put it short to 35 or mm. you can kick it longer to 25, 20. Our launch zone is so inconsistent. It's like bowling lines and lengths and like where's your where's your length? Mm. And you, sometimes you watch guys and you're like, your fucking your length is just way too full or you're, sh- you're way too short. And that's why those metronomic bowlers and McGrath, Hazelwood's a great example of it, Cummins, who just hit the fucking 10 cent coin. Bang, they just hit it, bang, saying, bang, yeah. bang. And our problem with our launch zone when I watch us play is it becomes hard for Harry, it becomes hard for Charlie, it becomes hard for Motlop or Fantasia on Wednesday or whoever it is because you're sort of going, where do, you, where do I need to be mm. as the ball is coming in? Where's – oh, I'm, t- I'm not I'm, – fuck, I'm too short. I'm not going to be able to get there to contest or try to mark the ball or I'm under it. Shit, I'm under it. And it, it, I watch us play and I just find myself thinking so regularly, this must be really hard to lead up to. Well, we don't lead well, at all. But this is maybe part of the problem. This must be really hard for us yeah, to... It's a bit static, isn't it? It's sort of like... You told the... Fab told the great forms. story. It does. And that's why, though. Fab told the great story, you know, a couple of years ago when you were talking about how Kernahan was playing on Malloy. Yep. And the ball's coming off the back flank and Sticks is leading up, you know, quasi-centre-half forward. He's leading up. He's going, all right, we're going now. How early are you going? And mm. there was a level of he's reading the play of where do I need to be in the next 10 seconds? to be an option or whatever yeah. it is. And for our forwards, I watch us, and because of that launch zone is so inconsistent, where do I need to be to, to actually compete for this or to be a body, to lay a block, mm. to be at the fall of the ball, et cetera? It's, it's, it's a real problem. But it's not only where is that zone. It's That's zone A. That's optimum zone. This is where we're going again. 70, 75% of the time. What do they call it in soccer, Fab? It's the POMO. The POMO? The position of POGO, position of greatest opportunity. That's A. But A only works when B and C are also a valid option. And I see a lot of that drawing parallels to NFL. You've got your X receiver and your Y receiver, and I don't know what the letter is they use for the other guy. Y? ZYX? Could be. Yeah, it's XYZ, right? So, and quarterbacks will go through their progression, right? You've got your number one receiver, your number two, number three. It, it, that, not, that might be taken. The other one might be taken. And then ultimately, if they're all taken, well, we're on a bit of a uh, free-for-all. But there's no consistency of this is where we're going. This is also available. This is also available. We go, even if we get A right, we're all there. Mm. Every, I'm talking about Harry, Charlie, Jack and, Martin and looks, will be and there. And it looks worse against a team like Melbourne. Melbourne. Who have the options to actually neutralise the contest, mm. win it. Yeah. And then, But if they win it and we are congested in that area, yes, we like to play down one wing. We like to compact. We like to play contest. Um, that leads itself to... Other side is so open. Yeah. They are and, gone. And that becomes. And on a small ground like Prince's Park. That's where you need your. your <laughs> boom, 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 two kicks and you're inside 50. But that's where you need your wingers to be holding very, very, very good width to protect. Yeah. And, and and that's why it's so. It's why it's a good method is we can be where we want to be, but we're protected everywhere else. So yeah. every person knows well, if I'm not in the play now, what do I need to be doing? If 
the next contest isn't won and it starts coming out, what is my role now? So you, mm. while you're attacking, there are a third of the team essentially already defending if, if that's the job. 100%. And, and, and if we do that well, then you you are less reliant on J- Jacob Wiedering mm-hmm. because you're not putting your, your back line under that sort of pressure later on, but you've still got to... Even with Wieders there on Wednesday, it was a very overexposed... It, it was, and, and, and practically we're not playing with Owies. Um, Motlop hurts his foot in the first minute. No Durds. Uh, no Durden. Fantasia plays his first game. Yeah. Looked good. He did a couple of things. Game. Well, okay. He played yeah. against Geelong. Yeah, okay. Um, but he's still learning his teammates. But, but, but and... you don't have enough speed in your forward line to be able to combat what Melbourne was allowed to do, and we were made to look poor. And no medium forward at all. Well, that's it. With no, with no um, sauce. No um, Jack Martin. And no Jack Martin. Um, your first pick is an Ashton Moyer, but he's a draft and stash. He's not a draft and player. He almost needs to play structurally well, bef- before he's ready. He almost needs to play just as an option structurally, even I, if he's I, not. I don't disagree. Even as he's against Geelong, there are a couple of moments. He kicked a couple of goals, got a one out the back and whatever. But, and again, this is not a criticism because he's playing his first game of not even senior football, um, you know, the AFL level. But a couple of times that body work wasn't great and the positioning and misread the flight of the ball was under the ball. And that takes time and you're not going to get that immediately. Mm-hmm. Very, very few people do. But just structurally to be a more credible opponent for whoever we can't be in those positions, you know, for Richmond and, and Melbourne early days, um, he almost has to play, even if he's not ready to play. Because if Martin's not out there, obviously Jack's definitely not out there. We are incredibly light on for somebody who just takes a body. Have we still got a, li- a spot on our list? Uh, I don't know. With Jack, we haven't replaced anyone since Jack went down, theoretically. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, You're bringing in someone for Thursday, uh, Friday night. Well, we've probably missed the boat on that one. But, yeah, I'm just – I am – like, there is a type that right now we are desperately missing. You know, it's interesting, actually. And, and, and it's probably the position on the ground – that would be the most easy to be able to find a prolific goal scorer. Like Paul Puopolo classically came out of the SANFL. He's a small forward. Correct. We don't need another small forward. We need a medium. No, need a medium. Well, but I'm just, no, I'm just saying there would be a player who has played in the SANFL and the Waffle. Do we need him? Realistically, would we give a list spot up to a guy who's covering for Jack Martin? If they're confident he's going to miss two. No, you don't give a list, list, list spot for it. But I, all I was sort of thinking is there is a glaring hole that would be one way of, of filling it. I don't think you would because I think With we're who? playing Poppy? the longer game. Poppy, 40 Fuck, years Poppy's old. Saying, who, who, it's like saying I'm going to bring Vin, oh, Vin oh, Cattogio in. Yeah, I, mean, I know, but going, I'm thinking, I don't think he'll go as well as he no, used to. I know this, but are you nominating <laughs> no, somebody? Oh, okay. No, just, just the generic plug-and-play, the 26-year-old guy that is a prolific goal kicker that understands football and go, here is your role, do it. Sean Manor. Sean Manor would be almost the perfect footballer. Mm. It's a shame he was taken by Geelong. Mm, exactly right. Um, so the other thing I had, I don't know if you guys noticed this on the night, but we had this, the one fascinating takeaway for me uh, in terms of the front half of the ground was we had this almost, I don't know if we want to call it the, the fork or the trident, but we had this setup where Charlie was the deepest and then he had two teammates maybe 15 metres advanced on his left and his right and there was a couple of metres only between them. And it was this interesting sort of look at – I hadn't seen us do that 
and I'm thinking, and that that's what you got to see because you were up in the you were up a bit stand. higher, yeah. and I was sort of sitting there going, we, by the way, just fucking rename it the Elliot Stand. We've we've been over this before. Enough times passed. Just call it the Elliot Stand again. Mm. Oh, um, no, knock it down, redo it, and then call it the Elliot Stand. Whatever. So that was an interesting set. Yeah, I thought that's part of the club. That's part of the overall thing. The Elliot Stand will be knocked down and. What's going to be put there? Offices, grandstands. There's already offices there. I know, but they're going to redo them. Yeah, Community facilities. That's my favourite. Community facilities. <laughs> and that's, that's the way to get the government the government cash. Yeah. No, we're going to put net, a community facility. We're going to put netball courts in We're going to put netball courts. And then we're yeah. going to grass them over. Yeah. We'll put the netball courts in just long you enough. haven't picked up the dig, have To you? get the government funding. And then, oh, yeah, Collingwood. Yeah. And then once we've got the government funding and it's all paid for, fuck the netball courts off. <laughs> we don't need them anymore. Um, I love that that was such a talking point. It was like... Just fucking own it. You obviously used the women's the boom in women's sports and participation and whatnot as a Trojan horse to get your government funding for your facility. And then once you'd gotten it and the checks were all written and the buildings were all done and the renovations were complete, you fucked the program off. It's the most obvious thing in the world. And and the fact that they also got rid of the athletics from Olympic Park. Well, this is it. When Eddie was on the board of athletics and said, let's move to the Lakeside Stadium and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Eddie, but this is opportunistic. We're not criticising. It's all been a wonderful benefit to Collingwood. Look at the shiny thing. Look at the but, shiny but thing. But let's not pretend that in this particular instance, you know, the, the athletics one and then the netball one, they didn't use these programs and leverage them to receive a level of funding which they could then improve their own facilities with before just shunting the squatters, shall we say, out the door. Brutal. Two things can it. two things can be true at the same time, Tim. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but the point was, there's an interesting, uh, an interesting, in yeah, front of it was an interesting yeah. forward setup, and we didn't sort of see it maybe for so long. So I wondered if it was like an F1 season, the Flovis paint. We just want to sort of see it, what it looks like for 20 minutes and mm. can we execute it and what's the communication like and what does it look like when the ball's coming in. So it'll be fascinating to – They're racing in Bahrain tonight? They are over, no, they've already been running one, uh, Red Bull 1-2. There you go. They um, race on a Saturday? Yep. Why? I think a few sports around the world, even like the WWF are doing it, they're having pay, more pay-per-views on Saturday night because I think they figure it's just a better night to host these events. Like, sun, like Sunday nights – it's Sunday night. Where did Ferrari yeah. end up? Third, signs. Leclerc was a little bit further back. Piastri was eighth. How did Rico go? Thirteenth. Okay. Sonoda was fourteenth. He and Sonoda had a little bit of a running run together. They released – Ricardo was behind him and they released him to go and hunt down Magnussen, I want to say. I'm pretty sure it was one of the Magnussen. Um, and Yuki didn't like it and he was sandbagging and whatever and then – uh, like cracked the shits basically and almost ran into Ricardo. Wow. Later on. <laughs> yeah. Not Where's good. the most overrated driver? George Russell end up. Where did he end up? Fourth, I think, ahead of Lewis. Kicking Lewis's ass again. It's all right. Lewis is on holiday. Just taking a year off. Before yeah. going Ferrari. Yeah, I don't see that working. It's not going to work. If the car's no good, it won't work. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. Honestly, if you look at – like Max is a fantastic driver. But I reckon if three or four other drivers were in Max's seat, fab. He'd be, they'd, fab. they'd be challenging him. Yeah, fab. The best car wins. Yeah. Yeah, and then it comes that's, down to out, you, out of the car, two drivers. Who's, if your who's car the... is an absolute dog box, you'll mm. be nowhere. And that's why Lewis and, and um, 
and Michael obviously get compared with the world titles. Lewis has never competed in a car as bad car. as yeah. Michael's Ferraris. Early Ferrari. Early days. He's Ma- never done Ma- it. Michael's late Ferrari was a dominant, dominant. No, but even against when, when Fernando beat him, you know, in 05, 06, like the Ferrari was, it was good, but it wasn't, the, the Renault was better. Mm. And no, the 03, 04 Ferrari is untouchable. No, absolutely. Mm. No doubt about it. He When he had the dominant car, he made hay. Yeah. But Lewis has never competed to the level that Michael did in 96. Absolutely outrageous that he took that to the last race. 97 yeah. took it to the last race. Yeah. 98, the McLaren was even more dominant than the Williams had been. And he was mixing it. You know, 99 when he broke his leg and he came back from his layoff and was 40 seconds ahead of the yeah. field. Like the car was getting better, mm. but it wasn't the best car in the field. Until it did. You know, that was almost – I almost enjoyed those seasons more than when – It's you're chasing. Yeah. You're chasing, you're chasing, you're chasing. But that's a great example. Like Max, fantastic driver, as Mark Webber famously said of uh, Vettel, good steerer, clearly very good. He's in the best car and that's why he wins. If you put – it's like anyone, Lewis, like these Lewis fans, Lewis won those world titles because he was in the best car. Could have been driven, driving one-handed. Like – you put anyone else in that Mercedes and they would have won and Lewis would not. That's pretty simple stuff. Um, Nathan Lyon, talk... 6 for 65. Australia's won the test by 172 runs. Thank you, Tim. When people listen to this tomorrow, that'll be great. Um, <laughs> we want to talk about the ruck position and specifically we want to talk about Harry Mackay. We can talk about Pitto as well yep. and De Conning. Um Harry's performance in the ruck is sort of the talking point from a Carlton perspective out of Wednesday, is it not? Because we need a second ruck. Maybe not every single week, because, like, not Pitto and TDK will absolutely play in tandem. You're probably, not, probably, and you're also not playing Max Gorn no, no, no. every week. And probably more than people realise, Pitto and TDK will be the ruck duo, but there will be occasions when one of them is in, one of them might be injured, selection, whatever. If he's fit, Harry plays every week, of course. Where do we sit on Harry Mackay in the ruck? I am, I have somewhat warmed to it with the very obvious caveat that he cannot, under any circumstances, contest a centre bounce. I am in lockstep. I like him in the ruck because I think he's, he's a good body and if he's behind the ball, he's a great mark of the football. He's a get-out kick. You know, when you're positioned... Everything Pitto can't do. All right? Um... He might be a better ruckman too. He is a better ruckman. But he's hit to advantage, Fab. He's hit to advantage. I'm convinced they are made-up stats. No, no. I'm going um, to talk about this. They are absolutely um, uh, correct stats. Um, he's hit to advantage. is 37%. That's yeah. elite. Um, but I agree. I do not want to see him getting crashed and bashed into. When you're starting from a standing position. Shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. Given his size, given his height, I'm happy. The ruck thing, you would maybe remember this, Tim, Timbo's Bloods. What did Paul Roos famously say about Adam Goods? Well, he uh, after he did his PCL the first time, he was never to he ruck ever he's again. never taking a centre bounce ever again. Well, this is to me, if if at the end of the season... It's a ticking time bomb. If it, Harry it, takes centre bounces... In my opinion, if he takes a single centre bounce, I think it is recalcitrant. If he takes... He's so much more... I am prepared to risk... Mark Pittenett at centre bounces, clearly, I am. as a sacrificial fucking chess piece, that if he gets injured, it's disappointing, it's no good. If Harry Mackay does his PCL, and it's a if, uh, sorry, it's a when, not an if, hmm. if he starts taking centre bounces, hmm. 
I'm going to be oh, – people are going to lose the plot because they're going to – oh, you've just been waiting to say this. You've just been waiting to say yeah. it because we can all see it coming. Correct. And if True. he misses fucking 10 weeks, yeah. 12 weeks with a PCL yeah. from doing ruck contests yeah. – Two weeks ago – Well, Pitto's you... fucked. Right? <sighs> I, I'm not going to stop it. He hasn't. Stop he's it. never been stop better. It. No, no, no. I'm saying he's – I'm saying he's since he did it two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Okay. Because yeah. of that, correct. Now, I look. I don't hate Mark Pitnett, right? Mate, it got nothing against the man. But well, since that injury, I did sit sit next to you in that practice match, mate. No, 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 no. Secretly, no, no, no. You should have secretly recorded him since that injury. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. <laughs> since the injury, yes, I've seldom seen him jump. Was he ever ju- a jumper yeah. before? Yeah, he got to jump a little bit, Timbo. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I think it's hampered his ability. Now, he is a big-bodied ruckman. Correct. So he's not an athletic. He's a ruckman. Sean Darcy type in terms of his not in yeah, terms yeah. of talent and output, yep. but in terms of his body shape and. And I think we've got him in. To fill a list void, but does he deliver what we need? Got him for four more years, Fab. Oh, no, three. We got rid of one, didn't we? Last no, year, four, including this year. We got him for four more. He extended. Four yeah, more. I thought he extended. Oh, so he extended four more. Oh shit! <laughs> I, look, like I said, I've got nothing against him. And towards the back end of You're last year, you visibly wincing at the prospect of him getting a four-year contract. I just don't see his body holding up for four years. Now, he – and I don't think anyone was coming for him, although they, they told us there was off, mega offers on the table. Do you reckon that's an example of, like, infamously uh, – United have been doubted on this, but remember what Fergie did with Charlie Adam? No, I don't. So Charlie Adam was at Blackpool. Sort of very good dead ball delivery, free kicks, corners. Um, like, he was clearly a good player, but his weapon was dead balls. And Fergie, we played Blackpool, the January window was coming up and there was a little bit of interest in him and Fergie basically coaxed a deal from Liverpool because he was saying, oh, he's, his set pieces are worth $30 million alone. He's unbelievable, incredible value, such a damage, such a threat, unbelievable. And he, he had fucking no interest in Charlie Adam. But he created a bit of a feeding a frenzy. Scored and a couple a bit of, of a ripping goals, Charlie Adam. No, he did. And so he went to Liverpool and, and it was like, Liverpool, you don't need this guy. He's not. He wasn't. He part was of the never Liverpool caliber. Part of the reason they were dudded into buying him. Look at the shiny thing. Because look at the shiny thing, and because Ferguson had kind of created this. Geez, he's pretty good value. This guy's unbelievable value, damaging. He's really good. Mm. There was no interest. No one interested yep. seriously in Pitnet for four years. No. I I still hope that we're paying him about four fifty, for the four years, and that total. <laughs> <laughs> That's below minimum wage. But look, I mean, on and and I also want to say that look again. I, I'm not here. We're talking about him specifically now, so I'm not. Ba- I'm not going out of my way to bash him. But outside of the ruck contest, which I think he's better around the grounds than he is at centre. I don't think he's a very good centre bounce ruckman. But at the hitouts to advantage, Fab. Well, I don't think he's getting any of them at the centre bounce. Well, but... not not getting it against uh, Max Gorn. No, no, right. Timbo, when when it comes down to it in a big final, you're going to be playing Oscar McInerney, uh, Max Gorn. I, I like Briggs. Briggs is an animal. Right? 
outside of Collingwood, everyone's got a pretty good ruckman. Uh, yeah. All right. That was not my doing. <laughs> I was trying to find the button. I moved them. <laughs> <laughs> so, outside of his around-the-ground stoppage ruck work, what does he provide? Well, the short answer to that is not enough. Good yes. bands? But, but ultimately, exactly as we said before, if we want to be a contested football team, we – like Nick Natanui in his pomp, they would toss the ball up and he'd be hitting it out in all sorts of directions to blokes running mm. exactly where they want him to go. And he, his, his tap ruck work was a masterclass. I remember once upon a time, we always used to, uh, Justin Madden had a tap to, if, if we're heading towards goal at one o'clock, he would hit the ball at one o'clock and invariably it was Craig Bradley running through at pace and he wouldn't even change stride before anybody realised which way did he go. He was running to 50 to either kick the goal or hit, Kernahan on a lead, and it was at when it was done right. It's the most gorgeous thing you'll ever see, almost you know in world sport. You know what was fascinating about the Nat Nui conversation, though, was so he was drafted in 08. Yep. So I reckon it took ten years until someone finally said those highlights were unfucking believable. It was Jared Healy that highlight reel. However, he takes one point five marks a week. That's right, and that was all, like, that was always his problem. So if there's a ruck contest. Mm. Fuck yes, sign this man up. Let's get him out there. He'll make something happen. Yep. But in every other circumstance in open play, he doesn't do enough. No, that's right. And that that, so, that, that was that, always the skids on him when he got drafted was he didn't understand. He couldn't play him behind the ball because he couldn't read it. And forward of the ball, he wasn't a whole lot better. But in the right interest I, I, instance, if mm. you throw the ball up in the air, Ridiculous. He, he, he could stand on someone's he head. He kicked one of the greatest his... points of all time against us. <laughs> Is that one where he, he tapped his it, own rode tap. it? Balked someone, yeah. got to 50 and... See, I, I but, think, but I think my, TD, but, TDK has got everything a Ruckman needs except for he's, he's, he doesn't have that big body yet. No. And, and right? look, he, so he, he gets pushed around. And it. he can run better and he's good when the ball hits the ground. He can, he can rove his own footy at yep. times as well. And it's, I, I, when I see that, I really like it. But our need for our Ruckman right now is not... The perfect hit out. It is dropping it at your feet. And when you've got a, a former Brownlow medalist in Patrick Cripps standing at your feet and you drop it down his throat, he's he's going to get the ball. So, yes, you hit it to advantage, but it wasn't especially hard to do. Whereas when Nick Nat hit to advantage, it, it was, was in it stride. Was, it was yeah. a highlight. You, um, you mentioned TDK there. It's so hard to appraise Wednesday's performance of our Ruckman because... Max Gord had the bit between the teeth. Was raging, he's yeah. the best ruckman in the competition. And you're not going to face quality like that every single week. So that sort of destroyed the curve, if you will. He's a on, generational on ruckman. Wednesday night. Of course he is. He's um, Dean Cox, Simon Madden-esque. No, he's fantastic. So yeah. appraising our ruckman against that is kind of unfair. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I thought TDK had done some nice things in preseason. I think yeah. he, looks, he looks very mobile. I think he's taken a step. This is what we need him to do. But I don't think he plays the style of football we want to play. I yes. don't think TDK plays the style that we want. Pitto does. That's exactly and right. And then the challenge becomes, okay, if you're going to morph and say TDK is our man, we've got to change slightly how we play. TDK will always be under this regime, under this style, 
a second ruckman. Absolutely. And at centre bounces, TDK looks a lot better because he can jump, jump, challenge, move from contest, and he's not static. But when we're playing, as we said, we're playing for contest. We're going down a wing. We're creating a contest. And from there, we can't afford to be getting absolutely killed in the ruck by another Ruckman who's going to tap to advantage and that team gets out. We yeah, need Because that Pido. should be a strength that yeah. ours. Do we you want to ask me to... a question, Sean? Later. And this whole... I fucking right now! No, I'll ask this, this is where Pido... <laughs> Pido does provide that big body. <laughs> Maybe we do. Pido provides that big body where, as you said, the whole tap to advantage, get rid of that shit. But yeah, he taps it to feet, keeps it in the contest, which is where we want it. Yeah. No, and, and that's because that's where we... Launching from. And, and, and we've recruited with that in mind. And when we play, especially in finals football, when we play that more congested, contested football, mm. he looked better. It's, he looked, it's why we recruited George Hewitt. It's why we, we recruit, recruited Matt Kennedy. Okay, Tim, you know what we're going to do here? We're yeah. going to do, do an early... Pre-Pondercast, because you are right. This this particular answer, what we're going to do now, better fits here than it does later on. Great. Okay. So I've got a question for you, Tim. Are you ready, oh. for, this? Are you ready for this question? Uh, Tim. Yes. Are you concerned by Oscar McInerney for Friday night's game? Yes, I am. Mm, excellent. I think. Please what, explain why. Well, I think what we saw on Wednesday night, if Pitto has a plan A of how he wants to involve his midfield in contest, he it, it relies on him being over to being able to overpower his opposition ruckman. And when you saw Gorn being taller and bigger and stronger, he wasn't able to impact the way that he wanted to. And unfortunately, with Oscar McInerney, who is also taller and bigger and stronger, um, I fear that our ability to be able to get the ball at the Ruckman's feet and win the contest in tight and then work our way out, we will be seeding advantage. And so our midfielders are going to have to be very, very careful as to where Oscar McInerney is going to be hitting the ball because if they're getting first use and getting out with no Jacob Wiedering in our back line, I think we're in a little bit of strife. And that's my... Going back to what I said before... Come the pointy end of the season, which we hope to be there, you're going to have Oscar, you're going to have Max, you're going to have whoever else I mentioned, Big Grundy, Grundy, Grundy potentially Wits if they make. Do you know what I mean? So they it's, will, but he's big. In his defence, towards the back end of last year, I thought he was doing that role quite well. Well, he knows what he needs to do. Who are you talking about? Pitto. Pitto. Oh wow. I just had to double no, no, check he, that you he, were giving him some credit. No, no, he, it, he, he, it had, he had a you cup. were polishing Mark Pittman. Oh, certain was like, couldn't be the case. I was like, you couldn't possibly be giving him credit. But as you say, when you know what your task that's laid out in front of you is, but if we can't play that way, he looks worse. Yeah, and we. And that's why on Wednesday night, what we were trying to do, nothing was coming off, and Melbourne had our way with not just him, with all of us. Mm. He looks. Lost. Well, that McInerney matchup in the prelim was decisive. It was. Hmm. Absolutely. It was really decisive. Um, just quickly, very well done, Tim. We'll come Thank back to the Pondercast yeah. shortly. But um, very quickly, wrapping this little bit up is some Hartlett handballs. Big dick. Big dick. Oh. Context? 
Oh. My father is calling me. His name is Richard. Okay. That's better than the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> um, some Hartlett handball shout-outs to the Hollands boys. Ollie looks to have progressed, which is excellent. I knew nothing about Elijah, and he looks to be worthwhile. Yeah, he's a neat footballer. Yeah. I, I think when football gets played on our terms, he will have an opportunity to really shine, and I, and I look forward to it. Do you feel... feels like we haven't had a player like him... His type. ...in a long while. I don't want to go too early. Please. I watched some of the 82 grand final Jesus. the other day in passing. The ash can? Uh, no, the dominator. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. I know. That's why I thought, geez, you're going a little hard there. But I just think front and centre, creativity, running well, out of the loves midfield, a loves a goal, can finish. A bit of strut. I have very high hopes for Elijah Hollands because I, I think he can play. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. The only yeah. issue I have with him at the moment is he will fade in and out of games. Yeah, absolutely. And once, He's a young footballer too. Yeah. That's a consequence as well of just continuity, yeah. that the Suns hasn't really had it. New team, it needs to take some time. Because you saw some nice things from yeah. him and all of a sudden it's like, where he, is he? He, he touched the ball two quarters like, oh, gee, I forgot, forgot he was playing. And, 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 so, and that's the David Cunningham issue too. You know, when he's on and he's doing his best things, he can look amazing, but then he will go missing. And that's Some of that too is down to in these practice matches, which is what are your minutes? How long are you on? And you're playing Starvation Corner. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, I still remember a very, a very long time ago when I was recruiting with Port Adelaide, Patrick Vest Premi kicked seven goals in a preliminary final. Sydney and the Bulldogs. Yeah. And unfortunately, like he couldn't run. And that was oh. ultimately what, what held him back. But in this game, it, was, it might have even been a qualifying final, not a prelim. The ball followed him. <laughs> Everywhere he went, the ball came to him. So much so at one point, um, he was off the ground and they subbed him on. He subbed on. He ran forward. He received a handball and he kicked a goal. He'd been on the ground for four and a half seconds and he had another goal. And it was like he was everywhere the ball was, and he was. Those are the things too you can't be seduced by. You have to have the wherewithal that you've had, hopefully, in the moment to yeah. go. This is just a one-off freak occurrence, where this is not the normal. No, that's right. And it was a funny draft in that there wasn't too many people that were really pushing through the draft pool, and in fact, he improved his draft position during the national under eighteen championships by not playing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the best sort of thing. I want to give a Heartland handball shout out as I try to remember how to spell Vez Premi. Um, I want to give a Heartland handball shout out to a man who gave us but a fleeting glimpse, but an exciting glimpse, Billy Wilson. Good one, Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> it was lovely. He came on and fresh legs, hot night, late in the game. Yep. Totally get it. But the key was, looks like he could fucking kick the ball. Yep. Yeah, that's right. He was uh, he played the role of a coach in the warm up, like when he the, too, when the yeah. teams came out. So they were all warming up, taking shots at goal, and he was just one of the. He was just kicking balls back inside he was forward a fifty. Handler, yeah, that's it. There was one bit where McGovern gave him a hospital kick yes. in the corridor, and he tried to mark it on his chest. He probably should have gone with his hands, but look, I'm yeah, not blaming him. Oh, it's a it's a preseason match, yeah. and nobody cares. But um, but he recovered from that, and he went again, and mm. I. I like the boy. Any other Heartland handballs? 
I'll take that as a no. All right. So moving on, this, <laughs> the next heading I've got is the margins. So I'm going to be very pointed here and we're going to talk about different things that represent margins. We've reached a point where those margins between us winning or not, achieving something or nothing, being successful or not, you know, having hit our ceiling or is this a stepping stone to more, those margins are razor thin. Yeah. Is a prelim final the best that we can manage or can we hope and dream for more? There's a few things that will determine whether the answer is yes or no. Yep. Yep. Number one, strength and conditioning. We have to talk about it. And I don't care if Carlton fans out there want to bury their fucking heads in the sand. It needs to be better. Correct. It's not controversial to say that. It can't be middle of the road. It can't be mediocre. Good teams are fit. Their best players are fit. They run games out well. They don't get recurring soft injury, soft tissue injuries. Best players are available. Blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. if there isn't an improvement in this space, and almost this space alone, to be honest, if there isn't an improvement in this space, a prelim's the best we can get. And people can disagree with that. They can downplay its importance. They can run interference and protection for Jack Russell all they want. And it's not just him in isolation. It's his no. team and, yep. and the whole crew down there, physios and all that kind of stuff. Not a problem in the world. But when we're finishing bottom four or bottom six, like the stuff that Hawthorne are going through at the moment, incredibly inconvenient for them, not the end of the world. No. You know, they weren't making finals this year yeah. as such. They're on the build. If anything, this sort of insulates them against having – a false dawn season or too good of a season and keeps them down in that bottom four where they kind of need to be to get another really, really good pick to control their destiny at the draft. It's not the end of the world. It's annoying for them. It will cost them some performance and all that. But it's not the end of the world. We've lived through that ourselves. When you have designs on competing for the premiership, you can't be living through what we lived through for the last five years. You just can't. No. You just can't be doing it. You need to have... You need to have better performance in that element of your of your football club. Yeah. So, sorry, Tim. For me, it's not the load-related injuries to our important players. It's not the feed them shit and keep them in the dark philosophy when it comes to comms about these guys. It's not that we're just a middle-of-the-road aerobic team. It's not that Walsh misses only a practice match. It's only a practice match. It's that this guy, who's one of our most important assets for the next 12 years, had no previous history of back injuries, and now he's managing it maybe for the rest of his life. It's not the issues for Cunningham's rehab. It's not Pito's rehab from the knee. It's not Martin's calf, McGovern's hamstrings and backs. Marchbank's like fucking hypochondriac. What's wrong with him now? <laughs> Williams and all the calf issues that he had and problems that he had. It's not just the money we're paying him and what a percentage of the soft cap that represents and what we could be spending that on otherwise. It's all of them. And it's we had the opportunity. It's not about people need to get in their heads. It's not a vendetta against Andrew Russell that I have and I want him gone and I want him sacked. I just didn't want him renewed after five mediocre years. We've had a look. We've given it a try. The results were poor. And now... Poor results like that will cost us. And it's a reality. Have they restructured it? Apparently they restructured quite a bit at the end of 22. Mm-hmm. 
regarding support staff and weights, gym staff and all that kind of stuff, we, we just, we can't be living this, what did Voss call it? Magic Monday? Where every year there's a, every week there's a new injury, there's a new problem, there's a new setback. I'll give you an exa- another Hawthorne example, actually. Like, so Denver Granger Barras gets turf toe, plays in the intra club on a Friday, two days later. Look, unfortunately, Denver Granger Barras got turf toe. He's going to miss 12 to 14 weeks. We would never in a fucking million years be that transparent. To what end? Why? I don't know. We would never. How long ago was um, Jacob Wiedering? Six to eight weeks away. About six weeks ago, wasn't it? Well, I think there was a lot of speculation. Yeah, and now he's still four, four sort of four well, weeks away. There was speculation yeah. of he's done a calf and it's a high grade calf. How long is it going to take for him to get back? And and I th- and I'm at least what I'm hoping is he probably could have come back sooner. But I think they're taking a bit more of a long game and making that's sure fine. when Tim, it does come back, Tim, he's right fine. to go. But it's a history of mistruths and miscommunication. The Walsh thing's beginning to sound eerily familiar. I feel, feel like Biff in the town squares. Something very familiar. About well, it. Remember when you they have said, "You to know." You ha- you, and and this leads to part of the question that I was going to ask Fab as well. Hold it, because what's his name? <coughs> Cook. Cook was talking, remember the other couple of weeks, oh, what's Walsh looking like? Well, he could be a week away, he could be two, it could be three. And you're kind of going, well, how certain are you that it's one or the other? Of, of either, yeah. Because mm. if it gets to six... Yeah. Because eh. remember, this was a guy who was just a bit sore and was going to miss a one game. Well, he was going to miss the Collingwood game and then he was going to play the first final mm. at the end of 22. Just a bit sore, Tim. He's going to miss one game. And then he did... Two months worth of training, and then, and then they realised he was no months. good, and then he had surgery. We just look, and there's unfortunately a history. Jack Martin's wife googling a calf specialist. There's, 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 there's too many things that, at the level we are needing to operate at, aren't measuring up. Well, it seems like Plan A just isn't working at times, and it looks like we run protection rather than just accepting <laughs> things need to be better. Well, things do need to be better. And, and and your point is well made of we may have every um, every everything that we need to have success may be falling into place with uh, the ability, the talent, Tim. the game plan, and, and if the only panel that doesn't or tile that doesn't come up our way is availability of our best players when we need them and being in what their did, best physical form. What did our late 2023 run coincide with? Availability. And at what level was that availability relative to the previous five years? Much better than it had been before. So is that the aberration? Have we finally cracked the code, the alchemy? Have we finally got it figured out? Or was that an aberration? But that's it's a reasonable question. Ev- and it, and everybody's, it, could be, it could be either. Because we've ev- got enough data... Everyone who wants to go, we got this right, he got this right, we got this right, we finally got this right. There is more than enough data to dispel all of that. Yeah. But as you say, if Marchbank Bank isn't available right now, he has a body that hasn't stood up. If Martin has tweaked his knee, that's a little bit unlucky. That's not strength and conditioning. If Weedering's torn a calf badly. What if he'd reported calf tightness no, absolutely. before and, doing and, it? And that's the bit that we don't know and we would be... No, we do know. So he has had calf tightness before. I was advised before. that he had flagged some calf tightness 
prior to tearing his calf. Yep. See, my issue is when you have your best players who have certain historical injuries. Now, so Sam Walsh, it wasn't a historical injury, but now it is. He's well, had it now. Yeah. He's had a back. I would be swimming in, scanning, testing, like periodically, and you'd hope to God that they are, and picking up any minor issues and backing his workload off. Not, nah, you're right, you're good to go now, and it's balls to the wall. That feels like it's our only speed in this space. It would. And again, we're going too early. If you know, like we now do bespoke programs for individuals. Once upon a time, the whole squad of 50 or 60, they'd all be running laps of Princess Park and racing one another and all that sort of stuff (coughs) and everybody trained together. Now they're smart enough to realise what works for Smitty doesn't work for Jonesy. So we all do something... (laughs) What do you want me to say? What doesn't work for Nguyen <laughs> works for Kawasaka. <laughs> That's probably worse. <laughs> I think you've gone Chinese-Japanese. Well, yeah. that was Vietnamese-Japanese. So Racist. Just, look, just in closing on this for me, the reality is this is a massive watch for the simple fact that we cannot afford 2024 to play out like 2020 did, yep. 2021 did, 2022 did and the first part of last year did. We can't. We no, can't no, afford no, no. that. And, and look, there may be Because 40... you are going to get your inevitable and unavoidable yes. in-game... The one we always use is Jack Martin hits his knee on some bloke in the last minute of that COVID game at the yeah. MCG. So we could all see it and it's it's bad luck. We yeah. could all see it. Yeah. Bad. Jack Silvani does his ACL at trading. You're yeah. going, bad luck. Yeah. We're all going to get those. Things you can mitigate against... against we can't be managing our most important asset, long-term asset, with a debilitating back injury for the yep. rest of his career when this guy's going to be a difference maker and every summer we're going to f- go through this, can he get up? Can he be right? Can we manage him in the year? But the thing is, Sean, he was going He was going well early pre-season. Like, he was flying. We're leading into Christmas and it's the first time we've gone, are we all out in the fucking track? This is unbelievable. Why are we pushing the boundaries? Going okay, when do we when do we start tapering off? King has said the training prior to Christmas is the most important training of the year. Just for him personally on his arms, or <laughs> seriously, Timbo, love your boy. That video of him doing the. Uh... It's it's massive wankerish. It's, 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 it is a bit. Well, it was, but no, it I reckon it's set up. I no, reckon no, it's set up. But it was a piss take With on Damien Hardwick. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But Jesus, he loves it. Have you heard now the the uh, what's come out? You know, people forget too. There's this funny thing. There's this moment because now we're so far, we're twenty odd years removed from it. They were teammates. They were teammates at Essendon before this Adam even got drafted to Port Adelaide. But people forget, and there's this. Yeah. He's not just having a stab at Dimmer. So he played at Essendon with him. He played at Port Adelaide with him, and they coached together. And Dimmer tried to get him to, you know, when he was at Hawthorne as an assistant coach, they thought, you know, hey, Clarkson were trying to get him across there too. There you go. And then obviously got him to Richmond. Um, Moving on, the next next heading I've got for the margins is coaching. So we'll talk to the Voss extension shortly, 
but coaching remains a really, really important watch for us. Um, and there are two things that we need to tighten up. We sort of spoke to them a bit earlier, how we move the ball and obviously how we allow our opponents to move the ball. Just at the moment, pre-season, what are we showing? How much, are we, how much of our hand are we showing? Neither seem to really be where they need to be for us to contend. And that's the margin for me. Are we well-coached? Are we well-drilled? The two teams we've played in pre-season look to be better positioned in both of those than mm-hmm. we are. They look to have used pre-season a little bit better. They look a little bit sharper than we do. Again, does it mean anything? We'll know in a week and two weeks and three weeks and four weeks' time. But those few other teams are just looking a little bit better prepared. And that's where those margins become just so incredibly, incredibly tight. I'm, you know what I'm genuinely fascinated by on Friday night? Tell me. We played Brisbane in our last competitive game of football. And we got five goals up. We looked good, and then things didn't work for a while, and then we made a run when the game was done. But if our coaching staff have done the right thing and they've reviewed that game and had a really, really good look at what happened and what didn't work, we should see a very, very different Carlton performance coming up against them on Friday night, and I would like to think that we will have seen something that we learnt about how to play that team better than what we did last time. That's a very well-made point because if we go in and just try the same thing again, mm. and we're up against it personnel-wise because, you know, obviously Martin won't be there, Walsh won't be there, Wiedering won't be there. They're big yeah. outs for us. Jack, obviously, unavailable. Um, March Bank, big question mark. So right there, it's... I don't ex- I'm, that's, that's, I do not expect to win this quarter, game. That's a quarter of the like, team. Even, look, I, I don't even think Brisbane everyone, lose games at the Gabba. So even I, if I everyone's available. Yeah. It's the hardest task in football. It is the hardest task in football, right? It, it, this is going to West Coast at Subiaco. Early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. And, so, and and again, I don't expect to win, but the way that we play, I'm genuinely you know fascinated what happened in the mid-90s at Subiaco? We would win games. Earl we Spalding put Guy McKenna into the turf and he never got... I don't even think these guys so they found They found him in the read, when they bulldozed the stadium. They, they <laughs> dug him up. They went, what's this red thing? What's it's this guy? guy. Oh, um, it's, it's, Blue McKenna. We we still look like, yeah, we rely on individual brilliance more than we do structure and method and system mm. a little bit. That's a coaching thing. That's how well drilled are we. That's what are we trying to do. Is that message being received? Um, I've got the note here that Jordan Russell, um, and I know a few guys who have worked. <laughs> what? Sorry. just We've got a note here, Jordan Russell. It's like it's like, you're going to just keep coming back. That's Jordan Russell. It's a different oh, Russell. sorry, sorry. <laughs> you think George Russell? No, I was thinking of uh, Andrew Russell. Andrew Russell. Oh, Andrew so Russell. Jordan Russell, obviously, and I, I know a few guys who have worked under him um, during his coaching journey, and lovely guy, brilliant. They all really highly rate him. He's never coached a forwards group. And the reason he's made I – mean, he's not on the hit list, but the reason he's made this margins chat is – Jordan Russell, by all reports, really good guy and strong coach, developing coach, etc. Yep. He's never coached a forwards group. Now isn't the time to be experimenting. But mm. Adam would say if you can coach, you can coach. Well, that's fucking weird, Tim. If you can walk, you can walk. No, no, but the but the like, point is What does that even mean? No, no. Well the point is as Do we team- need a greater level of expertise than you coaching me, Tim, how to swim? Backstroke. Yeah, you've, yeah. Never, you've, you've swum, Tim. You're a great freestyler. You can teach me how to swim backstroke. 
I probably could. <laughs> but it's like to win an Olympic medal? Put, uh, I'll tell you one Your thing. Your levers ain't, ain't so long, champ. So. Uh, Timbo <laughs> gave me one bit of swimming advice and it's absolutely worked. Oh, yeah. What is it? I said to him, Don't my, piss in the no, pool. no, as I'm doing freestyle, I said, like, my legs keep dipping into the water and I can't keep above the water. Timbo said, tuck your chin into your chest. Yeah, but that's freestyle, Fab. I don't care, it works. He's a freestyle swimmer. Yeah, you get the point I'm making. No, yeah, I, no I is do. It time, head's I too do. High is up? it the time to be experimenting? I question whether football is that hard of a sport in general. So I think if you have an overall game plan... What, in Washington Wash? It's incredibly hard. No, but and, and if you have a game style that has been predetermined by your head coach and he's illustrated to everybody, this is the Voss game plan, this is how we are to play. He's just the coach that's going to help you These execute are, This it. is what the forward line structure will be. This is the way that we're going to play. Then within those parameters, I'll take that one jo- step. Jordan is saying. doing one on ones and he's yeah, breaking yeah. down tape and going, Sean, you're here. You should have run there. You didn't do it. Or why do you need a coach at all then? Well, you do because you need somebody that breaks it down. Yeah, and but you've got players who've been in the system for eight, nine, no, ten no, no, years. Absolutely. Just get Orazio Fantasia to do it. Look, he's I, been there long enough. Yeah, but as you say, it's but there's one person that's cutting up all the tape and putting yeah, it all get him together. A code for then, the, get him a code for the yeah, what do they call it? But but. But as you say, feedback. What's it called? Post game, post game, there is feedback back to the coaching, and there is feedback back to the players as well. And so it's I, it's learning what's working and what's not working. And at the end of the day, if you've been in the system and you understand that, and you can coach and you can communicate and you have connection with your players, you can coach. So if everything so by you're, that, by that, if everything you're telling me is everybody loves Jordan Russell and they think that he's a really good he's coach, he's coaching a midfield group. I, I don't care that he, I, I don't care that he's coaching the forward line would group you have, or the back line group or the midfield. Would you group. have Jason Dunstall coach the backs? Jason Dunstall wants to be a, a coach if, after his playing career. Jace, take the stoppages. Do it. No, well, a, a, as you say, look, I've got a, I've got a foot here in both camps. I agree with what Tim's saying. He's been. In, I don't he's think been it's as specific in, as you think that it might be. He's been in the system. He's been in the playing system, the coaching system. If you know football, you know football, and you'd be able to articulate it. However, we don't. Back to Sean's thing. Not specific. Not entirely. But I'm listening. Now's not the time to experiment. Now he might be a good forwards coach, but we don't know. So is now the time to say, oh, let's put someone who may or may not be good. But we know they're a forwards coach, specialist forwards but coach. But if, mm. if you're asking where are we going to be marking the ball inside 50, where is our launch zone and all those sorts of things. Launch zone's a mid thing too. Vossi is dictating that. No, he is. But so when it comes it, down to specialist feedback, specialist support, specialist coaching. Within the framework of what we're trying to do, if you understand football, you understand the game plan and you know how football needs to be played. So you would hire a plasterer to put up your fucking frames, would you? Well, you, you, again... You, He's been in the house while it's being built, Fab. You yeah, can do it. No. It, it's it's uh, not a good example. No. It is a r- wonderful not, example. No, it's a rubbish example. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's rubbish. I, I see what you're trying we to do. We need to lay the slab, I, Tim. We've got I, a plumber here. He's I, seen it done. I, I appreciate your humour, Sean. He's seen it done, Tim. No, yes. no, 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 no. And I think yeah, you're yes. making light oh, of on. it. And I think at the but end that, of the day, Jordan Russell will be He's been in the house. He's been in the house while it's being built. No, no. If that plumber, who'd been on a thousand sites, is then going... My body's cooked. I'm going to be a project manager. 
yes, he's been on site that off. He would be able to project manage and say, all right. No, no, he has to do con- it. Concrete. No, no, no. The guy laying the Jordan slab's Russell's not sick. leading out from the, forward. No, uh, no, no. From the, the, the guy laying pocket. the slab's sick and they need it laid today. The plumber's been on a thousand work sites. He's no, seen it done. No, 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 no. He's seen it done. He can do it. We're not Jordan bringing Russell's the office not, lady you're in running, to play your, full forward your and house. Jordan no, no, Russell has Jordan to Russell, Jordan house. Russell isn't executing the play. It's your house. He is coaching it. He is managing it. Are you happy with this? Yeah, this is just two fucking wankers who's been around these. Tim is a project manager. He doesn't even know what he does. Um, would you be happy with this? <laughs> He's an infrastructure manager. <laughs> would you be happy with this? It's your house and you just got the plumbers putting the frames up. You'd be going, yeah, that's fine. He's done. He's seen it done. Or no, going, but if, eh, if all of a sudden, someone with a more specialist if, if on Tim this? was Tim was sick and they said Sean's going to come in and manage the build, does he have any make experience? Sure people who are doing it. Does he have any experience in managing this slab but being you, laid? You might... No, he's been on site when it's happened. Yeah, but he's not pouring it himself. Yeah. So why have him there at all? No, no, because to make sure, oh, they haven't turned up. Bing, bing. Uh, mate, where the fuck are you? If you don't pull the slab today, other services can't, other elements of the build can't go ahead. So, he, But what sort of feedback can he give them about the technical it doesn't pouring have of to. the slab? You're employing people to do that. Tim's got to go have a slash. Um, you're an idiot. We're going to talk now in terms of margins. We spoke briefly before about Harry Mackay. Harry's goal kicking is a margin. Um, look, it's a margin, and I don't know if it was you or Timbo who sent the uh, Damien Barrett sliding doors. Tim. Uh, two things. Damo, purple. Listener. I know you're a listener. He's blocked a lot of people lately. You do not know the concept of a sliding door, right? Number one. Yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's a general flaw in how you're going about it. The, the piece has sort of become but ironically incorrect. Don't pick up the paper the next day or log onto the app and see that Harry Mackay's missed X amount of goals and go, oh, same old, same old. What I liked from Harry is he's going to drop putt. Kick three goals, one. And I'm telling you now, if he sticks with a drop punt, half of his misses were absolutely dog's breakfast snaps. He would have a higher percentage of nailing those if he just goes back and feels comfortable with the drop punt. His last one, he stabbed through it a bit. If he Mm. just goes back and kicks through that properly. Who was the – was it Guelph? He did a check 15 metres out directly in front. Was that – do you see that? No. He was Guelphy. He was 15 metres out, or 20 metres out, little tiny angle, not dead in front, tiny mm. angle, mm. and he did a check side. I'm dragging him. Yeah, mind you, I didn't like Charlie's snap from directly in no, front. No, but, but that's... On the left. But he check-sided it on the right from, like, slight angle, very slight. And I'm thinking, I'm dragging him, and I'm sitting him down. And I'm going, you need to have a fucking think about what you... He missed. No, it because it, it then becomes an issue with... Oh, it's like you start to question yourself, can I kick a drop? No. Of course you can. Snaps are, there is, and it was proven, this comes back to the whole, it's kind of like the Stevie J era when it kind of started. They improved the percentage of being able to score a goal when you're on an acute angle by snapping it. Yes. Not snapping it at every... From better than 45 degrees. It's, mate, unless the angle is acute. So, with the Harry stuff for me. Drop punts, please. Like, it is an issue. His field kicking, Damo said his field kicking's bad. He's moron. Water, absolute moron. Um, 
the longer that the issue persists, like the more costly it becomes. Margins, mm-hmm. very fine. He missed two goals against Sydney in the elimination final from an aggregate of four metres. Yeah. In a game we won by a kick. Yeah. So you're going, there's a consequence if this stuff is, is allowed to continue you know, in the vein it is. So we can't keep pretending with Harry that whatever it is we're doing with him is working because it's like a bad swing in golf. If you've got a bad swing, you've got a bad swing. You've got yeah. to fix it. You can't just yeah. keep on going, yeah, I hit some on the fairway and some I don't. And yeah, I middle the ball sometimes, some I don't. You know, yeah. It's going to cost you. So we're just saying Harry's kicking is, is a margin for error. It's a conundrum. Yeah. Yep. So someone down there just needs to take ownership. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think the fact that they've actively top sought positional, when you're here, when you're here, when you're here, I think he's got it clear in his mind. When I'm in X position, I'm doing X shot. And as long as he sticks to that, honestly, I think his drop punt kicking is better than people think. Yep. And he'll get It seems to be be it's better than he thinks. Yeah. 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 And then when he's on an acute angle, mate, snap it. Snap it. No one's going to Half the time last year, it wasn't the embarrassing... It wasn't embarrassing when you're 25 out on an angle and you snap and you kind of shank it a bit. Because he loves a belly every now and then. He does. It was the... You're 40 metres out. What the fuck are you doing snapping it? Yeah. Right? He eliminates that. And I said this to Sean while you were gone. He eliminates them and takes a drop punt from those ranges. He's got a higher percentage of making that shot. And I reckon his goal can improve this year. Yeah. And, and I'm also firmly of the belief he's clearly worked on it. And I just think having done the work, in, in there'll be a, a game or two where his first couple of shots will go through and, and he'll have a bumper day because he's because con- he knows he knows he has it within him but just some days you have a good day some days you just have a bad day mm. and and he just needs to have more good than bad and I just think he can get build a bit of momentum I mean if and I was going to make this comment before Two weeks ago, if you said, Tim, I'm going to give you $100,000 and you can back any player in the competition to win the Coleman medal, two weeks ago, I'm putting the whole lot on Nick Larkey. The whole lot. Two weeks later, having watched Harry Mackay play two games of footy, I'm chips in on Harry. Wow, that's a big call. Even for the criticism that's come out from the media saying... And oh, the he's conversation still... he's going to be playing second ruck up the ground more. Well, this, this, that there was some some other bloke said, uh, I think it was Gary Lyon was advocating for him playing at centre-half back. I think sometimes they just say things because they've got to say something to get I, people I, calling in to talk back. I think and... he'd be a wonderful centre-half back. But yeah. as you say, we don't have six of him, so uh, I'm not having him at centre-half back. No, and the thing, just closing on, on Harry, you, you sort of mentioned and people have mentioned – He's done the work. Sorry, Tim, you said that earlier. He's done the work, and yes, he has. But something that Fab, what you mentioned earlier, hit on, the work has just been more discipline into what kind of shot you're having from what position on the ground. This Mm -hmm. idea that he's um, re-engineered his goal-kicking mechanism. No, no, no. He's just having set shot drop punts Mm. when he should be having drop punts. Yeah. That's it. Like, he's he's done the work. You can see he's done the work. No, he's just having greater discipline that Mm. I don't need to be snapping this. And. I but think a lot of goal, goal coaching needs too. to come down yeah. to if he, 45-degree angle, he goes a drop punt and misses, it needs to be told, mate, you don't go back to a snap. No. Yes, you are going to miss. Harry needs to know he's allowed to miss. Yes. Yes. Because Steph Curry is the greatest three-point shooter of all he's time. He's the greatest shooter of all time. But, but, he, but 
he misses. But the greatest one of the we not what it matters. We, far we've out. used we've used the baseball thing. Uh, you're missing or you're failing sixty five times out of a hundred. Yeah, you're one of the all time greats. Correct. Correct. If you're doing it sixty times out of a hundred, you're a fucking legend. Yeah. No one has batted four hundred since Ted Williams in nineteen forty one. And they're the sort of conversations that well, somebody needs to have with a, a Harry McCoy. Four hundred is outrageous. He was four oh. Uh, what for the season? For the season, yeah. Fuck. Tony hell. Gwynn was on. I've said this on the pod before. Uh, he he would have had games where he was batting five six hundred. No, he would have. He, he f- no, 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 he would have had games where he went four from four. Fuck. <laughs> I think on the last day of the season he had a really good. He was batting. So the last game and that's of the just season, getting on base. Is that what getting a hit? Yeah, getting a hit. Getting a hit. Yeah. Hitting yourself on base, not a walk. Yeah. Um, I think he had the last game of the season. His batting average, if he'd sat the game out, it was going to be rounded up to four hundred. But it was three nine eight or something. But it was going to be rounded up, and there was some talk that because it's still one of the great achievements in the game is batting four hundred, and that's only been uh, further. Celebrated by the fact no one's done it in 83 years. Wow. Um, and he said, No, I'll play. And I think he went, he had like, he went fucking five, like four from six or something or whatever and, and got 406. Yeah. Because he just went, No, if I don't, goes some of these assholes, you'll say, No, it's not 400. Yeah. It's three, whatever it is. In the record book, it says four, but it's not. But um, interesting dude. Yeah, Ted, very driven. A fighter pilot, I believe, or a pilot in uh, World oh, War II. There you go. Um, and then the last one I've got here for the margins is a bit of fun for me. We love a movie analogy. We do. So I've got two of them. So for me, the margins are coaching. It's that goal-kicking stuff. It's strength and conditioning. There's a lot more. There's, mm. there's subcategories in all of those. Confidence is a big one. So in honour of the great Carl Weathers, who gentlemen, as of very recently, is dead, dead, um, let's chat Rocky first. Uh, and I actually think I've used this one before, to be honest. The very first Rocky movie is about... Opportunity. Just, no. It's going the distance. Going the distance, distance yeah. The very, it's... very first Rocky movie is about proving you belong, proving you, you can compete and having the chance and... Opportunity. Opportun- well, it's about <laughs> no, showing that you can no, compete I know. I know. with the best. And it's, that's why at the end... Apollo's listening for the decision and Rocky Rocky's gives not. zero fucks. He just wants Adrian. It's a genuinely beautiful moment yeah. when this, the mix goes down and the fight's ended. Ballsy moment from a filmmaking perspective because the whole film's been building up to this the fight result. Yeah. and the result of the fight. And then very quickly, the result doesn't matter. Yeah. And you can very faintly hear in the background Apollo's one and on points, very faintly and still blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the camera doesn't linger on him, it lingers on Rocky. It's absolutely outstanding. It's brilliant. They tried to recapture it in Rocky Balboa, but didn't really... Didn't quite didn't work. Because um, he walks off. He's like, he's out of the ring. Yeah. They, they give him the decision. He's caught. Kind of but the film, just, the film just ends. Yeah. And you're sort of like, I think he lost. Mm. I think he lost. Because it's... Yeah, you have, to, did you have to listen out for the ring announcer because yeah. obviously the audio is more concentrated on Rocky. Yeah. It's... Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. What's the second Rocky about? Winning. Winning. And that's why it's a great sequel. It's actually not a very good movie. I rewatched I it, love, re- I, I re-watched I, I it get, recently. It's, I, it's not I a great get, movie. But the themes I are I get goosebumps when she wakes up from the coma and she says, and he goes, there is one thing you can do for me. She whispers to him, win. And then he what like, are we waiting for? Ding. 
And then she repeats da, 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 it, da, 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 and he just looks at oh. So that training montage, that that little bit of Bill Conti brilliance is just oh. We've spoken about it before. I love it when all the the kids are chasing him, and there's that one kid that the tries to go like, with him. <laughs> um, just digressing ever so slightly. Have you seen the um, video on like Twitter or TikTok where there are people with like all the brass instruments and somebody going for a run around Philadelphia? Yeah. And they start playing. Yeah. Yeah. The theme. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good. It's very clever. So the second movie is about winning. He's not the underdog on anymore. He's not a nobody. And it's about becoming a threat. And forget about all those scenes in the first half of Rocky Two, where Adrian's eyeballing him thinking, I've married a fucking idiot. Yeah. He can't read. He can't drive. He bought that stupid jacket with the tiger on the back of it. He's <laughs> working at the meat factory. They, again, they, he she, got fired from the meat she factory. Goes, she goes back to his apartment and she's like, Jesus Christ. She spends the first half of the movie going, I have fucking made a mistake. And I'm and I'm knocked up. Uh, and and I'm, I'm knocked up. He's fucking impregnated me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but along the way, like Rocky became complacent and he became comfortable and he once was enough and he bought the Trans Am and he's, you know, he's, he's oh, I did what I wanted to do and, and now I'm going to live this life. And then, oh, I've got to kind of go back to doing the other stuff. Maybe you could be more than that. You've shown everyone you can be more than that. You've shown everyone you belong in the ring with Apollo and you can go toe-to-toe with him. And then the film pivots and becomes about him obviously acceding to be champion. That's what we're at. Do we have the confidence to go, yeah, we went toe-to-toe with Collingwood and and Brisbane and Melbourne and beat Port Adelaide and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. Do we have the confidence to go, of course we can keep going. Or do we have a glass jaw? And when the pressure and the expectation and the opportunities there to go further, we aren't prepared to put ourselves out. We aren't prepared to actually chase it. Well, you gotta you gotta put some skin in the game and you gotta be you gotta be afraid to lose to risk everything that's to it. win. And that's And that's why that, that Rocky two ultimately, like I said, if you watch it, it's like it's a fine it's fine. It's not amazing. I like it. It's good, but it's not as good as the first one no. as a pure movie. No. But it becomes about sort of wanting more and it becomes about fighting for the life that Rocky wants. Rocky has this thing that I can fight to make my family's life better. And that's my why. I'm gonna go and fight for Adrian. I'm gonna fight for my baby and yep. blah 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 blah. And the, a lot of the Italian migrants, that was their not just it. Italian, but mm. like migrants well, to Australia went for Italian. a better life. But it's very and, powerful and it resonates because yeah, what absolutely. am I fighting for? I'm not just fighting for myself, I'm fighting for everyone else. Yep. And what it will do for their lives. And it's it's very good and it's very effective in that way. So that's the confidence to kind of want more and to actually chase it and to, you know, really kind of um like you said, Tim, put yourself out there. And then the other one I've got is a fun one, and this comes back to confidence in a different kind of way. Fab, you and I are big fans of the movie The Colour of Money. Yes. It's a great film. Have you seen it, Tim? Yeah. Uh, bits and What's it yeah. called? The Babushka? The Balabushka. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> That's the name of his pool cue, oh. The Balabushka. Anyway, it's an unreal film. It's actually a really quaint movie and the sort of movie that doesn't get made today, this really kind of slow, mid-budget character film with like – Paul Newman's an absolute superstar, one of the greatest of all time. And then, like, Tom Cruise is the up-and-coming, you Cocky, know, and yeah. he's great. But Well, they say it's the last time Tom Cruise's name was not first on the, uh, the poster. On the poster. There you go. Um, but one of my absolute favourite scenes in the film is the Werewolves of London scene. Yes. Where he goes into, I think it's Chalkies is the name of the pool hall. And, <laughs> and he goes in there and the, the idea is that Paul Newman has taken uh, Eddie 
has taken Vincent and his girlfriend. They're going on this trip and they're just going to hustle some people. They're going to go to the pool halls and they're going to hustle some people. This is on their way to like the big tournament. Sort of, yeah. Very early in the journey. Yeah. And they go to the, the Chalkies and they, they're getting the lay of the land and, and Eddie's teaching Vincent how to conduct yourself in this world. And the idea is that you want to kind of – you want to drop a few games. You want to, you want to sandbag a little bit. You want to ultimately rope in the big fish. And at Chalkies, the big fish is Moselle. Is the yep. black guy with the cowboy hat. He's the the shark in the pool hall. And the idea is we want to be here for a few days and we want to build ourselves up to taking on Moselle and that's where we make the money. Maybe we lose to this guy, we lose to Fab, we maybe mm. beat Tim. Okay, then we, we go for the big You boy. establish yourself that you're good enough but – You're not a threat. The big shark's going to go, oh, I've got I can take – I reckon, geez, do I have him? Yeah. And there's that – that's the – the bluffing and who holds the cards and how good are you and how much do you show. And in one of the best scenes of the film, they go back to the hotel. Eddie kind of wakes up later on. He comes back and Vincent's taken the balabushka and he's gone back to the pool hall to take on Moselle. And when Eddie walks in, Vincent's tearing him a new ass. And he's just like, I'm not fucking waiting days to take this guy on because I'm just going to take him down. And the werewolves of London plays, you know, Warren Zevon, really good song. As he's loving every moment of beating this guy. This guy's the big boy in the pool hall. I'm better than him. I got him covered. I got him. And he's dancing around the table and he's doing stupid shit. Like the, the he's doing like like the samurai sword. But doesn't he know he's gone because he realizes the cue's the gone? Cue's gone. <laughs> but, the cue's gone. But and I understand that the, <laughs> What's it called? I, understand I love the name of it. Doom. Doom is the name he gives it. <laughs> no, it's the other one's the Balabushka. That's the name of the type, but that he yeah. names the Balabushka Doom. Yeah. But the point of the scene, not to miss the point, is that Vincent's blown this town up. We've got to leave town now because you've fucked this hustle, basically. No one's going to play you for money now because they know that you're the best player in the pool hall. But the point I want from a confidence perspective is when you've got a fucking team by the throat, love it. Play with strut, play with swagger, play with character. Enjoy it's the one it. Thing, one thing last year we kind of really didn't do. Enjoy oh, it. Those the, Hawthorne teams. The old Geelong. Those Hawthorne teams, when yeah. they'd get a hold of you, would kill you. Yeah. And they'd kill you with a smile on their face. And Richmond would do it too. They would annihilate you. Mm. So that's not going to be every week. But when we've got a, an, a, an opportunity to be the werewolves of London and be fucking strutting around the table and dancing and carrying on and really rubbing a team's face in it, you have to take it. I agree. You have to take it. And and, and practically, you know, and, and it's still such a theme in football at the moment, is Collingwood's won their premiership all power to them, but they were still always winning games by very, very small margins. And you question the, the sustainability of that. Like you recognise you keep winning the close ones, it, it's really good. Port Adelaide in 07 won every single close game and they found themselves in a grand final and they got beaten by 115 points by Geelong because they weren't that good. 119. 119. Like, they they actually – they had no – and Sydney was a little bit like it the previous year as well. Like, they made a grand final um, playing good football, but when it mattered the most, they were miles off it. And maybe Geelong were always so far the best team it didn't matter. But just sometimes – Results mask reality, 
And yeah, and, 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 and that's the question we have to answer. Yeah, we we, we can't be winning games by are two we, points. But are we? You know, remember in, in Rocky Two, where they've, they've, they kind of do that thing where Rocky's sort of maybe doubting what was the result. He's gone the distance, and it's but he's got his ass kicked. Mm. Like he got he, he, Apollo would have won that fight. He won well, every well, round. Well, he was in hospital. For well, it. in round twenty or whatever it was, we beat Collingwood by essentially forty points. So this is it. So what and, is and the reality? And that was with a half of Chera and no Walsh. And if Howe doesn't go forward, it's not a twenty-point margin. It's forty. So what can we make that? Is the thing. So so the confidence thing for me is, and the margins thing for me is, what can we make this? What can we make twenty twenty-three become with a bit of belief? Well, I, do we believe we can be better than that? Do we believe we belong with these teams? When when we came good in and around '95, I always just referred to us, and this was my word for us: is we were the juggernaut. You know, we knew, we knew how good Carlton was. Can you becoming. compare us with an Eastern European athlete of the time, <laughs> Sergey well, Bubka? What was what's the name of the Sergei eight? Bubka? Was he the pole vault? Yeah, vault. he was the pole vault. No, the the eight hundred Yaris. Jamila Kratochilova. Of course. Yeah, which if you watch her breaking the world record in the eight hundred meter, <laughs> you, you, you'd tell me what's going on there. Oh, what are you saying? She's got a cock and balls. Well, I don't know that she has a cock and balls, oh. but she, do you have the? She she's enormous. Okay. Do Ooh. you have the time, the patience, and the want? No. To do an Olympic podcast no. for two weeks. I do Timbo. love the Olympics. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll <laughs> wait and see. <laughs> we can um, get to call it something. Obviously, because it's not a winter Olympics, it's not like you know Blades of Glory equivalent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. We'll think about this. We're going to move on now to a general roundup. It's just general news. All right. So no. <laughs> oh, what are they laughing about? Show him. Oh, it's got Jamila Kratochilova. That is a man. <laughs> um, all right. So general general news. Uh, very quickly through these stuff that's been happening around the club that was newsworthy. Luke Sayers sought and was granted a constitutional exemption to remain as president until the end of 2025. What do we think? Like it. I I do as well. I support the call. Yep. Um, I think it makes sense. And, look, I also acknowledge, I think like we do, we have to, the precedent that it may set for less than stellar or competent presidents to seek exemptions. There is obviously the safety net, if you will, that those any extension needs to be ratified by the voting member. But it does still create an uncomfortable situation whereby a shit president might seek such a thing, not be granted it. It becomes messy, maybe. It becomes uncomfortable. It becomes, you know. But I think it's a good good, good move. Mm-hmm. Um, stability is the buzzword and it's applicable here. Brian Cook, of course, signed on. Similar term, I believe, to the end of 25. Yep. Was uh, only signed through to the end of this year. We always said if you've got... Or well, last year, was it? If you've got the want and the drive to do it, why not? Why not? Why wouldn't you do it? Um, a really key capture, I'd say, you can't be really preaching that kind of stability and then losing your CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I really want to talk about is the extension for Voss. So, contracted to the end of 24. I personally don't like re signing coaches out of season. Um, if you've got a solid track record of success, if you're a Damien Hardwick at Richmond and if you're a well, – um, McRae's obviously reached that point now. He won the flag. Chris Scott is a great example. 
you know, Malthouse back in the day, Sheedy back in the day, etc. Parco. That's different gravy. With Voss, he's got a year to run. Let's see how we start the year. Let's see how things play out. No one's coming to pinch him from us. No one's coming to steal him from under our nose. The reality is he's coached us for two years and half of those years have been pretty good and half of those years have been pretty bad. So which one's reality? And just just in closing, sorry, I've got no issue if Lloyd Cook, Sayers, et al., the board, think he's the man. No problems at all. They're closer to it than us. They have more intel than us. Not a problem. But let's start the year and he'll frank that assessment really quickly. Within four, five, six weeks, he'll have proven you he's he's the guy. I, I agree. I, we, don't I, need to, we didn't need to sign him. I think we could have waited till round six and then made a decision because ultimately the decision to sign the contract is an easy one. The decision to not offer a contract is a really, really hard one and mm. you have to know that you're absolutely right. And to be in that position, the season's gone. Like, no, so, absolutely. So, but at the end of the day, I think from an optics perspective, from a backing in your bloke about maintaining the momentum, I think the other side of it is let's sign him, let's give him his two extra years, let's keep him there. And ultimately, if he turns out he's the wrong bloke, sacking him and paying him out is not going to be costing you a king's ransom. For a football club, that's a very easily done thing now. The million-dollar question would be, who do you replace him with? Mm. Because I, I still long say we had a we had a fork in the road moment three years ago, and we. You saying that the football club or we the podcast? We the podcast had a fork in the road moment three seasons ago when we nearly signed your best mate as coach, and we should have done it. What the fuck would that have meant for us? <laughs> I don't know. No, in Tim, no, in Timbo, very little. <laughs> well, Timbo, yeah, he might have had to plead the fifth because I don't. I don't cast amendment. Because ultimately, if, if if things don't work out and he's not the guy, the question would then be asked, well, who is? Yeah, no, and I agree. And, 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 and I think Vossi's done enough at the moment. He did a terrific job with us last year. He's deserved, half a year. Yeah, he's deserved the extension. And, uh, and we'll see how we go. Many hold the opinion that a coach – I'm not saying this is my opinion. I don't really have an opinion either way. But many hold the opinion that a coach that doesn't have that security – Moneyball art. Very hard to do my job on a one-year contract. Yeah, that's exactly right. Moneyball. Um, may affect the manner in which he coaches. No doubt. So stability and that's all that him. sort of stuff. That's I think on is, him. If he's affected by it, that's well, telling yeah. us no, something. No, but, but it ultimately affects us as a team. Devil's advocate. Does the word stability, when it applies to stuff like this, because that's the buzzword. Was there not a one-year extension? It was two. Two. I'm saying, was there not one, avail- one available? Well, one could have been. But anyway, the, the point is, the idea of stability, which is obviously what, what they've gone with, with Cook and Sayers and Voss, sometimes, and Lloyd before that, I will contradict myself now in saying that stability, when Cook's a great signing to re-sign, he's the CEO, he's steering the ship. Sayers, done a good job, became president probably too late in his tenure, in his term, to realistically discharge the duties of a president at this time, we've extended him fine. Sometimes stability can be an excuse to not make a decision. Well, Ken Hinckley last We're going for stability, Fab. Yeah. Stability, stability, Fab. And it's like, well, you're actually not making a decision or you're delaying 
a decision in a, in a weird sort of way. You're delaying having to actually make a call. Yeah. Stability is what we're after. You're like, maybe is it what you need? As yeah. devil's advocate, well, I keep saying it. If we start the year well, they reckon he's our man. Not a problem. He'll he'll win the extension in a month. Well, Port Adelaide and Ken Hinckley was fascinating last year because I think all those close to Port Adelaide had made the they decision. They fell off a cliff the minute he signed. Well, this is the thing. I think everybody was of the opinion that Ken Hinckley wasn't the guy. He'd been there long enough. He'd had his opportunity. We're ready for new blood, new voice, new era. And they kept on winning games of footy last year. And eventually they said the 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 noise of why are you not signing this guy when he's right in front of you? And they said, yeah, we've got to do it. And then they did. And then the rest of the season they sort of fell away a little bit. So they, they've ended up being bullied into making a decision um, that I think they don't really wanted to make. And now the fascinating thing is Warren Treadray was the guy that was probably most um, vocal in saying he's not the guy, is now on the board. <laughs> Didn't he only, like, by the skin of his teeth, get on the board? It was an unbelievably close call. I think it was tight, but, yeah. But ultimately, he's there now. But, yeah, it's just going to be... It's going to be a very, very fascinating watch for them um, because I think they thought they needed to move on from him, but he was providing them so much, you know, success in the moment that they thought by not signing him, it's, it's, it's showing that we have zero stability but the best decision for the team might have been let the season play out and if he wins the flag, we might re-sign him and if we don't, we'll move on from him. Excellent, Timbo. Well done. Well said. Very, very good. Now, this could be dangerous. We're going to go and we're going to do for the second time today, <laughs> where is my sting? Where is my sting? You've got a lot on this. Uh... The Pondercast. We already asked you your question, Tim. Did we ask you your question, Fab? You basically nailed it. Did we? Yeah. Shit. Well, who wants to ask me a question off the cuff? I'll ask without, you a question, will you? Sean. Like, what's your question for me? Give it to me. <laughs> um, mm. Did you see, Sean, mm-hmm. and what Maybe. did you make of the club's media offerings for Zach Williams' return last week? That's an excellent question, Fab. It's very perceptive of you. It's, I do have a thought on this. Thank you for being so generous and asking me that. Okay, so did either of you see... Zach no. Williams make his return in the Pracky on uh, Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday, yeah. Or morning, morning. Yeah, whenever yeah. it was. And yep. he comes back. And I think I speak for all Carlton fans when it's players coming back from a long-term injury. There's a level of interest, um, putting aside the fact that we've obviously got so much invested in Zach Williams, you know, and we all want him to get back out there. Comes back, makes his return. Great news story. Plays a half. Okay, fair enough. Like, what the... <laughs> I don't want to sound too critical as someone who's sort of invested or operating in this space, but what they gave us was shit. I wasn't on the lookout for anything, so I didn't see anything. It was shit. What did it they was give like, us? It was a very, very brief video of Williams walking off the field um, and just talking about good to be back out there and they're obviously walking with him as he's coming off the field. Um, and then a couple of incredibly out-of-focus shots, like B-roll shots of him playing. They're not even in focus. And he's sort of going... Like, this is a great, this is a good news story for a club that just at the moment on the eve of the season needs a bit of a, everyone needs a shot in the arm and these mm. are low-hanging fruit to talk to your members and your fans that this is a great news story. Zach's back, got through a half, great stuff. We're going to start building him up from here. What, what they, it's, the question I've got is, is there a technical limitation 
to, to who was maybe capturing it. And this can sometimes happen. I did something the other day and with a microphone and it's still usable, but it's this frustrating thing where I follow these directions and I've used this piece of equipment and it's just the gain's a bit too high and the audio's peaking and it's a new piece of equipment. And the lesson learned is, well, fuck, that's, I'll follow the direction that the fucking gain's too high. Shit. What do I do with it? Don't know. Is it, was it a technical element? Was it a directive of someone that we don't want to be talking about this? We don't want to pump this up. We don't want to do too much with it. We don't want to capture any of it. It's it's just bizarre. If you're going to do it, do it right. Like I, I don't. I say this. Call me good. <laughs> Call me bad. So I don't want to. Like if anyone out there's seen it, or if you want to hunt it down, just for reference sake. So Carlton's thing on Wednesday afternoon ish on the socials. Zach Williams comes back, and you'll be able to find it. I did a thing yesterday, Box Hill. We had two of our boys come back from knee Rico's. So very like for like situation. James Parsons and Benny DeBolfo. So with Parso, the thing I was filming, unfortunately, the audio's peaked a bit, is I followed him getting to the ground and getting ready and mic'd him up and, you know, Benny grabbed some B-roll of him, did an interview with him post-game, great to have him back, got some nice vision of him, you know, moving around. Got Parso's first goal, kicked the first goal of the game from 50-odd and the big reaction of the boys getting to him and you're like, why is that fucking better? And it's not better by a little bit. This is the Carlton Football Club. This is a club with so many more resources to deliver so much better stuff. And in this example, which is the lowest of low-hanging fruit, great news story, Zach's back, got through the game unscathed. That's literally what it is and how it's presented. I think that stuff irritates or irks you more than it does us because we don't... We just just consume what's given to us, whereas you analyse what could be given to us and how it could be given to us. A bit more than I, we do, I would say. But um, it's it seems it seems like it would have been, as you say, something easily uh, easily got to. Now potentially it is a direct could be a directive from the player himself just to let me get through it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I agree with you, but um, and it's like you kind of go, guys, like it's just. I'll show it to you later, Tim. So you couldn't quite no, that's see. That's all right. I, but I it's just that. an example of like, this is just. But especially on the good news stuff. Oh, it, but that's what it is. Just and that's, keep pumping that stuff in. It's, and, that's and, and great I think news. Realistically, as as you allude, is we're paying this guy nine hundred thousand dollars a year, and he gave us no football last season. The previous year, he missed a lot of football in between and did come back in that Collingwood game and looked really, good. really good. And, and I think for the style of footy we want to play and win it on the inside and then be able to move it on the outside, having a guy like him moving on the outside can be really, really it's good. Extremely high ball drop, Zach. Yeah. Yeah, you've but, always said that. So and, and, and the only other little thing, and I know you take less stock in this too, mm. Zach individually and personally lost his sister last season as well. Got had married a, this off-season. Yeah, had a lot, has had a lot taken away from him. In the last period of time, now he's getting it back, and it should be celebrated. This, this and, is what and, I mean. And if you're going to celebrate it, celebrate it well. Celebrate it well, and just it's such. I use the phrase again. It's low hanging fruit. It's just so easy to get people excited and go, "Fantastic, great to see him back, wonderful." And you're like, "That's it, that's it." You're like, fuck, guys. Yeah, be better. Jesus, than that. but I don't want to sound like I'm a negative Nancy. Some people understand the history. 
Yeah. Negative Nancy. I always Some, thought it was a negative Nelly. It's no, either it can be or. Both. Either it can or. be both. Some people understand the history. So long as it's alliterative, we're happy. Oh, I don't want it to sound like I, I listened to the uh, David Cunningham summer sessions as a big time, long heard, time yeah. Cunners fan. I heard the lead up. You know the whole when. They did like a preview that you know, and every player saying, "What you're getting cunners on?" No mm. one knows anything about but cunners. I listened to the cunners uh, podcast. Yeah. And it was good. Yeah, you know, that's really well done. Well I listened done. to the Walshy podcast on uh, Dylan Friends. Yeah, yeah that was a good listen. I don't too. mind Dylan Friends. We've spoken about it in the past. The only thing about Dylan his one with Jack was I liked the one with Jack because that they Silvani. they share yes well, they, they share real history. Do you know what I mean? In in a similarity and. I got more from Dylan out of it than I did Jack. So even though Jack was the subject, the Dylan saying I was never like you. In that there was never, even though you know, son of a three-time premiership great and whatever, because I never had that. Well, Silvani was different gravy. Mm. The surname. No, the the only thing I'll say with Dylan friends is sometimes when it's an episode that you are, we guys being Carlton skewed would be really naturally predisposed to liking. The only thing is sometimes those episodes can frustrate me because I think it was the Murph one, maybe the Judd one, and they're talking about different things and it's like the details are wrong. Mm -mm. And there's just little moments where they're talking about instances or games or something or a pre- and It's you're like, like we've relived it more than they have. No, and, and that's fine because, you know, that's just how sad we are. But, no, no, because um, no, that's the difference between living it. Yeah, and there's moments where you like... They live it and no. then reveling in it. And we kind of... Remembering it. Yeah, we, we kind of relive it. We've spoken about this with the Entourage pod, with yeah Victory the Podcast, whatever it's called. And with they get some, everything wrong. Sometimes you're like, no, nah, it's wrong. That's why I kind of stopped listening to it, because you're like, no, nah, that's not really how it – no, that's not how it happened. Well, well, like, can, that's not how that played out. Can I tell a very brief story? Very brief. During COVID, we had Duncan Armstrong. Duncan Armstrong, talk two to us. fucking mentions of yeah, Duncan Armstrong talk, today. Talked to us at work and, and re, you know relived his story. Mm. Anyway – Duncan, as most people will know, won the Olympic gold medal in the 200 metres freestyle. We spoke about it earlier. He was actually a better 400 metre freestyler than he was 200. And he was in, slapping people at, after at, the, at the same <laughs> medal ceremony. At the same Olympics, he swam the final of the 400 freestyle from lane one. Mm -hmm. And in the swim, he breaks the old world record. Unfortunately, a West German swimmer named Uwe Dassler. Dassler mm -hmm. um, Uwe Dassler. Yeah, related, maybe. related to Addy? Don't know. Anyway, he break, he wins the race mm. from like lane three or lane four, um, breaks the world record, wins the Olympic gold medal. Fantastic. Duncan pretty much negative splits the race. So at halfway mark, he was miles off the pace. Second 200 comes home like a freight, freight train, gets beaten by about 0.2 of a second, breaks the old world record, wins a silver medal. And he just he just put it down. He said it was utter failure. And and I'm listening to it and not wanting to take over his story. I, I didn't do it, but I felt like saying, <laughs> Duncan, you're a fucking idiot. I said that was one of the great swims of all time. That was a phenomenal performance. He didn't expect <coughs> swimming, He didn't expect Bruce It's probably be... a better story the way that he told it. But I'm like, mate, that was one of you. That, that might have actually almost been a better swim. What was the theme of his talk, though? About I love like teamwork and. Anyone got any questions? And Timbo's got split time. <laughs> it, it was hard. Duncan, work. you may or may not be aware. You negative split that time. <laughs> and um... <laughs> his, his story always was um, with hard work, you will get reward. And, and he ultimately. And obviously, the. the 
the result of the 400 doesn't match the message. And so he says, I didn't swim well. And it's sort of like, you really fucking did. You've got a really unhealthy relationship <laughs> with that performance. Fab, I have a question for you. Would you like to maybe ponder this briefly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did we do this earlier? Yes. Well, we talked about it before, We talked anyway. about it. Yeah, that's why we said I'll ask it anyway just to close it out and get everybody. Do we want to talk about it? No. Okay, we'll move on. Um, we're going to move on now to, of course, everyone's... I just think the ponder cast can interject as required. Uh, maybe. We'll work on that. <laughs> I know you're on the buttons and all. You've got mail. Mm-hmm. All right. Mailbox. Eric Tolato, what what point in the season will you buy in? Twelve and two, or the grand final parade? No, don't be a smart ass, Eric. Um, <laughs> well, what if I've got a question for you, Eric? What if we're seven and seven? Ponder that. Is that a drink? Seven up. Seven up. No, seven and seven. I don't know. Maybe. But look. Oh, seven, seven, we've seven always is said... the uh, the beer that you get in Vietnam. No, I think it's like a mix. Cigarette as well, isn't it? It's a mixer. Sponsored seven, BAR seven. when they came drink. into Formula One. BAR wanted to have two different liveries. They wanted to have Lucky they Strike did. They had the 50, and 55. 555. Uh, five, five. They the wanted blue, to have... The blue and yellow and the, uh, the white-ish. So they wanted to have like an IndyCar. Yeah. Two separate liveries. Who gives a shit? Just let them do it. And they instead just split the car in half. Yeah. Whatever. Um, no. Like Malcolm. This is – oh, Jesus. If, if, if we start the year well, fan, fantastic. We've worked on things and things are working. That's great. No, we've always said this. No one will be happier. No one will buy you. No one will celebrate what the club is doing well and right more than us. It'll we're be here, great. We're, we're just here to provide balance. Well, in the absence of seeing it, it hasn't happened yet. So. This is it. Yeah. Um, Lenjet, is it normal to wait almost a month for Fab to respond to a text message? Ooh. If I, I haven't got back to Maddie about no. a lunch with you, Timbo. So, uh, All right. Okay. Yeah. No, well, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I forgot to tell Tim. Um, yeah. it, it's... Well, if you all forgot to tell me, obviously I'm sitting that one out. You're not involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. Um, work-related, sure. Work-related. Yeah, whatever. Fuck you all. <laughs> uh, Christian Chapcoon, one for Dr. Tim. Yes. Should the players be doing more work in the pool? I said before, we've got to swim them a little bit more. Take the, take the, the load off. Get the heart going. They even put the horses in water. They, I was going to say they do it with horses a lot. Gay Waterhouse famously, I think, won two Don... It's either two Doncasters or two Epsoms with a horse called Pharaoh. Fuck, I thought the horse was going to have a Russian name. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but it was... Um, the horse was a bit of a hack. Like, his body was rooted and uh, and... She just couldn't work it hard. And, and the old school, her dad, Tommy Smith, one of our greatest horse trainers of all time. Tom, her dad's name is Tommy Smith. Yeah. With a Y. <laughs> well, she was Gay Smith. <laughs> Back of the old onion bag. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, he would really work his horses hard on the track and get them super, super, super fit. Um, she couldn't do that with Pharaoh, but she swam him instead and got him fit just swimming came out and won a couple of Doncasters, like what are now million-dollar races. Came out races. and beat Duncan Armstrong in the 1988 400. <laughs> despite, despite the negative split. split it. Pharaoh negative split Duncan Armstrong. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. Jeremy Cruz and uh, Lenny Dill have kind of got a similar sort of thing. We'll tie those two together. Jeremy's question is, was 2023 a bit of a fluke or is it repeatable? What's our trajectory for 2024? We don't know. D, uh, Lenny said, what's our biggest concern going into the season and why do we all know it's game plan? I think it's probably more, can we repeat the success of late last year? 
can we get to that again? Do you know what's going to happen? And I'm going to say this, and people get it. We're going to lose games. Don't yes. think. And I don't think we're going to go on a losing streak like we did last year. And I don't think we're going to go on a winning streak like we did last year. I think we'll be a lot more balanced. We need to be more balanced. And yeah. I think we will win more than we lose. So long as we're winning more than we're losing, you would be stiff not to be playing in September. No, we're playing September. But like what we said last year, you can't leave yourself with too much to do at the That's end right. of the season. We we want to be able to maximise our opportunities. And if we can be hosting finals and not having to travel and destiny remains in our own hands, we're a chance. That's right. Uh, a couple of guys have asked about the ruck thing. We sort of touched on that earlier, ruck combos and the like. Let's not kid ourselves. Pitto and TDK will be the number one combo. Yep. There will be occasions where balance, injury, one misses. Harry will do some rucking. What does that look like? It's a bit of a wait and see. Hawthorne spent all pre-season talking Blake Hardwick up as a forward. and Heard that. Uh, no, he'll be playing back by the looks of it. So, well, he will now. Um, what have we got here? Josh has said, what's a pass mark for the Lions game? Five goals? Competing. Six goals? Minimising minimizing the impact of their midfield against us um, and then just trying to stick close on the scoreboard. Because, again, I don't expect to win. I've got – this has got pre-season, like of the early 90s. You know, we went over to Adelaide and got absolutely annihilated. And that if, ultimately if, didn't mean anything in yeah. isolation. But it's, it's got If you told me we got beaten by 12 goals, I'd be disappointed but not surprised. Uh, if you told me we jagged a win by a couple of points, I'd be surprised. Yeah. But but I'd take yeah. it. Notoriously slow starters, the Brisbane Lions. Okay. Yep. Adrian. But they but that's coming off a loss in a grand final. Yep. yep. At home, it's their opportunity to be able to say to our supporters, we got really close, but we're still really, really good and strap yourself in for a year and they could flog us. So uh, Adrian Salerno. What happened to Clubber Lang after he's lost to Rocky? That's an excellent question. It's a great he question. just felt because you would think they would have had to have had the rubber match. They they've had they've split their first two meetings. Mm. Promoter's dream. Someone's knocked Rocky off. Rocky's answered back in emphatic fashion with um, Apollo in his corner. Well, Rocky retired. No, he retired in four to drop the belt. No, no, no. He retired in four. He retired. No, he didn't at the end retire. Of three. In four. No, that was he his didn't. last. He gets into the ring. He dropped th- the championship in four. He had to he had to drop the belt to fight the unsanctioned bout against Drago in four. When he steps into the ring, go back and watch it in three. I'm telling you what happened in four. At the end, they say this is Rocky's last fight, win, lose or draw. So he was retiring at the end of that. But then he came back and, in and four, fought. No, in four, he was retired. No, he wasn't. He was fighting. He had to drop the belt to fight. He was the champion. He had to drop the belt to fight Drago. Go and get your facts right. I'm fucking going to. I'm going to. Bit of column A and a column B, bit of column B going along. There was a he scene was, he was He was at the press conference retiring. Club Land comes in, he goes, Oh, whatever, I'll take you on any place, anytime. Gets his ass handed to him, comes back with Apollo, trains, wins. And as he's leading into the ring, Stu Naham, I think his name was. Naham. Says, Rocky decides to take on Drago himself, but to do so has to surrender his championship. Yes, because he, yeah, but he would have retired. Yeah, at the end of three, he he was going. I, 
that's, to retire. No, but he didn't. The, the films corrected that later because they needed him Rocky. The fucking movies in Rocky, Rocky fights. He needed to be unretired. He didn't have to unretire. All he needed to do was, he, I'm fighting you because you just killed my best mate. It is mentioned. <laughs> it is mentioned in Rocky Four that he'll be vacating the title to go to Russia and fight Drago, as the fight isn't sanctioned by the U.S. boxing authorities on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day. Have you ever fucking seen these movies? Please, mate. <laughs> um, question about the world heavyweight title. Rocky gets it from Apollo at the end of two, loses it to Clubber Lang in three, gets it back. But sometimes before or during five, the title now belongs to Union Kane. Uh, when and how did Rocky lose the title? Look at the timeline. Um, so he officially retires after the Drago match because he's brain damaged in the shower. Yep. He's shaking, yeah. shaking uncontrollably. We don't want to see that. It's a good storytelling mm. thing, but we don't want to see that. And in that two-week span, Paul has lost everything. <laughs> <laughs> you had a car. No, you don't have no, a car. No, you don't have a house at all. You're house? Back. No house. You're living in that shithole in Philly again. Yeah. Um, Rocky yeah, Five is such of, a it's, bad movie. It's, in one, it's a good idea, but they just did it wrong. Tom, was that Tommy, Tom, Tommy Gunn? Gun. Yeah. Uh, it was in one of the newspaper headlines. Tommy Morrison, dead. Yeah. Hold on. Rocky for Rocky for <laughs> We've been a little distracted. Newspaper. Sean, you're doing the Marbox. Oh, they do the, the newspaper flashes up on the screen. Um, Boxing Commission KOs Rocky will not sanction fight. Wait two years. Yeah, so he, he Rocky had to surrender the belt to fight Drago. So he was still the champion. Anyway, he should have fought Clubber again. No. That was the rubber match. They needed to have their trilogy. Do you know what I love? Prediction. When everyone asks for me for a prediction, I would just say, pain. That's, that's, what, that's <laughs> how Fab answers when someone says, how are you going to shit today? Pain. <laughs> how am I going to shit? <laughs> pain. What does he say? He goes, hard words from a hard man. <laughs> 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 um, Balboa's got the guts to meet me in the ring or anywhere else. I live alone. Hey, woman. The train alone. Hey, woman. I win the title alone. <laughs> but he has a team. He has a team of <laughs> They just rock up on the day because you don't see him during his training. Who are these people? Who's his corner man? <laughs> They've got the T-shirts. Um, Jack Hardy, who will be our breakout player this season? Elijah. Okay. Are you happy with that? Um, Chera might win the Brownlow. I reckon Boyd. Why has Tim tweeted this? Un, like with no context, this photo of Jamila Cratchelova. <laughs> we talked just, about it in the middle of but it. But no one's listened to the episode yet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a teaser. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote tweet this with, you'll understand when once you listen. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, excellent stuff. Very good indeed. What's That's, your take on Jamila? Just I just told it. you earlier, she looks like a man. Correct. But they've showed photos of her afterwards and she looks more feminine. Okay. She's just on the juice. It's, in bad, it's, a, it's a bad haircut. And the fact and it was the seventies. Fact, the fact that she looks like she's packing more than Sean well, isn't isn't helping. Jesus, that's what did I do to deserve that? Tim <laughs> <laughs> has posted this mid record. Sean's doing what Pete does during team meetings. So we go, team. All right, Pete, let's go through what have we got on. What, and I'll say whatever. He's responding to a message, right? No, I'll say, oh, yep. Uh, Project Sean, how, where we're at with that? Oh yeah, I've got to send that email. Okay. Uh, Project Tim. And then I'll, Pete, you listening? No, he's writing an email that he's <laughs> asked to send. This is not me reminding you what you have to do and you completing every task. It's like, no, go through them, write a list, 
And then when I'm doing it now. Then not on my time. (laughs) I like it, I like it, I like it. Oh god. Okay. Millionaire time. (coughs) Now. This is obviously a season kickoff. We're not going four hours every week. You say that, but it's in my contract I've got an hour and a half a week. You said that once before as well. Um, I told so my wife we're, there we're changing. is no way we have three hours worth of content to talk about on for practice match. We're, we're How change, wrong I can we're be. We're changing tack a little bit. So, Tim, because you did the top five, Fab's in the hot seat oh, for Millionaire this week. Are you ready for bagging out? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay. This makes it worse. <laughs> do you hear that in studio? Yeah, I do. Oh, no, I'm usually a steely focus, but yeah. You ready to Fab? No, in studio, did you hear, do you hear that? Ah. Uh, I actually can't oh, remember. Sorry, I, I forget that you were a uh, contestant. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe very faintly, but they would sure. Because it comes through the TV. Quite they would, late. I, they would probably just, they do refilm it live. Yeah. But maybe they add that under the. I think they add it later. I can't remember yeah, hearing it. I don't it. remember having. Um, if anyone out there has been on Millionaire like Tim and I have, and don't remember, and don't, just maybe <laughs> mention it. Did you touch. get in the chair? Yep. Yeah. How'd you go? Well, I got the question. The question was like it was a um, get wrecked was a marketing campaign used by which. Holiday Island in the eighties, and I said, "Look, respectfully, you go like that's before I was born." So what was it? Daydream Island, it was Dunk, or Dunk Island, Dunk or yeah. something. And the day, I think Magnetic Island was an option. There was a few, you know, Dunk. And I said, "Look, I don't, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Got no idea." So I passed, and never got. Back and on. no, well, I was, I was literally in the next chair for the last question. Wow. So I was like, "Fuck." So you ready, Fab? Yes. Let's go. Is. Let's go. Let's go. Born in Illinois in eighteen sixty-six. Elizabeth Maggie was posthumously credited as the creator of what? 1866, Elizabeth Maggie posthumously credited as the creator of what? Was it A, Crayola crayons? Was it B, the double-sided safety razor? Was it C, the teddy bear? Or was it D, the board game Monopoly. Ooh. So Elizabeth Maggie posthumously credited as the creator of something. All of those things arrived within about a five-year yep. span of and one she's another. Posthumously, posthumously being. So in the early 1900s, she doesn't see Elizabeth Maggie dead. Dead. No, <laughs> oh, that didn't loop. It didn't loop. You didn't do your homework. You said you could do this. No, I usually do that. Usually it loops. Crayola. So she did she create Crayola crayons, the double-sided safety razor, the teddy bear, or the board game Monopoly? I'm leaning towards Monopoly since it's... Monopoly is invented by the Parker brothers. She doesn't sound like a Parker brother. So if I eliminate that... That's the one that's going to be obvious, and that's the one that I'm going to go, why did I eliminate that? But we're going to knock out Monopoly. She's not a Parker brother. She might be a Parker sister. but <laughs> Which is a McGee or Maggie or whatever. The teddy bear. I would have assumed the teddy bears would have been around for quite a while. But Sean's saying they're all invented within a five-year span, so that's a potential. The double-sided razor... I reckon was invented by Wilkinson Sword. <laughs> so we'll give that uh, 
we'll give that one a miss. It's between Crayola, crayons. Long time, initial, one of the big early partners of the Premier League was Wilkinson Sword. You watch early kind of Premier League 90s era, big Wilkinson Sword, Yorkie bars as well. Mm-hmm. And Wilkinson Sword. Yeah, because you had Yorkie written all over yeah. like an orange, like yeah. a yellow, goldy orange. I'm going to go 50-50 to see if it's what you got left for me. What? 50-50. You're going to go 50 for, oh, fuck, yeah. I didn't prepare. Well, what am I, I'm, I'm not giving you? Maybe I'm not giving you a 50-50. What do you mean? It's a game. I'll give you a... Let's get Tim involved. I'll give you a phone a friend. Timothy. Tim? Yes. <laughs> um, I, like you, I can't have the teddy bear. Okay. I'm very happy to pull the teddy bear out because kids always need to sleep with something and just whatever it's morphed into over the time, whether it ended up being a bear or whatever, I think it's too hard to track. You they were all invented and in, they all came along at the same time, Tim. Yeah, well, I, I dispute Teddy Bear. <laughs> um, Crayola and Razor, they're both producty and all that sort of stuff. Very practical, though. Is a woman going to be creating the razor? You are a sexist pig. No, I'm just like from Women a need I know what you're saying. The top two, A and B, sorry, yeah, A and B, razor and Crayola crayons, seem more of an industrial type invention, in yeah. which those days women weren't really in industry. So. And as you say, Monopoly as a game. Like a board game and just coming well, up with Monopoly the was of, made by the Parker brothers. Well, this is your assumption and you're ruling it out on that on that alone. But was it her idea that they've run with and made a fortune out of? You have given me. I think the Monopoly great one is intriguing the, me, but that's what I said. That's the one I want to eliminate, and that'll be the one it is. But I'm going to stick with eliminating it, okay. and I'll, despite. I agree with everything you said. I'm going to go totally opposite. You're going to go Crayola. You're going to go Crayola. I'm going to go with the teddy bear. Lock in C, Sean. Teddy bear. Won't you let me be your teddy bear? (laughs) For Bagadash. Chaiwala from... Chaiwala from South (laughs) Moran. You have locked in the teddy bear. What's her name? Elizabeth Maggie. (laughs) Did not invent Crayola crayons. She had nothing to do with the double-sided razor. She had no need. That was Gillette. (laughs) She did, of course, invent Monopoly. (laughs) The Parker brothers are still in a uh, dispute, (laughs) a legal dispute. So very, very well done. I thought Tim had had pushed you towards the correct answer there. So Maggie was a Quaker. She was a feminist and a devout supporter of the tax theory espoused by Henry George. And she created what was called the Landlord Game sometimes between uh, 1902 and 1904 to demonstrate George's theory that uh, land value tax was no remedy to land monopolies. Just taxing the land was actually not going to stop monopoly people buying more land. Um, The game was very, very popular in the northeastern United States for many, many years before being effectively stolen by a man named Charles Darrow who had played the game at a friend's house, reimagined it as monopoly and sold it to the New England-based... Parker, Parker brothers. brothers. So, old Darrow. Darrow, Darrow what a so, fucking asshole. He'd um, be. Maggie was posthumously awarded a credit for having created the game. She would also create some other games along the way as well. So she was somewhat of a creative she, sort of figure. She the the 
what is it, the, the Pop-O-Matic bubble? Would love it if she did. Hungry, hungry hippos. Um, <laughs> no, and crayons. The modern crayon was invented in Europe. It was a mixture of charcoal and oil in 1885. The son of a chemical plant owner. So you're in the right sphere here, more industry base. Um, and his nephew would create the concern, which ultimately became Crayola. Yep. So Edward Binney and C. Harold Smith, over the next decade or so, uh, they created an improved uh, car tyre. Yeah. Which was good. Uh, they sold shoe polish. They sold printing ink. They sold slate pencils. Uh, Crayola crayons were invented when the pair took the wax crayon and basically put coloured pigment in it and wanted something that children could, you know, use. Um, Edwin's wife, Alice, was a school teacher and gave them the name Crayola. Safety razor was Gillette. Um, and the teddy bear, the story goes legendarily that President Theodore Roosevelt was on a hunting trip in Mississippi in Is November. Is that why it's called the teddy bear? That's why it's called I the teddy that. bear. I knew that. So he was on a trip in Mississippi in November of 1902. He hadn't killed anything on this trip yet, which seems in isolation as strange. Hadn't killed a man even. Um, some of his lackeys cornered and tied up a black bear and suggested that Teddy execute it basically. He didn't think it was very sporting, and uh, the legend goes that he was like, we'll spare the bear, and then later said, you can kill it. They didn't just let it run off. It was like, <laughs> someone else can kill it. Um, two days later, a cartoon of Roosevelt sparing the bear appeared in a Washington Post uh, newspaper, and Morris Mitchum, a Brooklyn candy shop owner, decided he would make a stuffed bear and dedicate it to the president, naming it Teddy's Bear. There we go. And there it started. So there were probably other plush bears private. Prior, but uh, that was so. the teddy bear. Where, so, obviously around 1866 he she was, was president. No, no, that I'm was sorry. Elizabeth Maggie was born. So when was Theodore Roosevelt president? Well, that happened in November of 1902. Yeah. So it was Franklin D was the one He's around FDR. in the 40s. FDR was the war man. Yeah. He was the war. He was the war dude. He was the one with the busted legs. Didn't work. Yeah, well, yeah, he was in a wheelchair. Well, he stood up every now and then, but yeah. <laughs> and everyone just went, you fucking prick. <laughs> what a ruse. <laughs> have you heard the story? Have you watched the Greatest Night in Pop no. document? I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen snippets. And Pete came, because me and Pete have got this long-running thing with Stevie Wonder. We, we, <laughs> we love clips of people talking about Stevie Wonder not being blind. <laughs> yeah, it's and, the... Um, it's the, the um, Kevin Hart, and um, when, who was the guy with Kevin Hart when he said when he said, said, said what difference is three a.m. three p.m. for Stevie? Stevie. Well, it all looks the same. <laughs> Doctor Dre's gone. Don't do it. Don't do it. He goes, no, I don't want to do it. Um, so they're at the piano. So it's like it's Billy Joel, um, Lionel Richie. Who would have thought you'd find Billy Joel at a piano? And um, and they're at um. Um, no, they're at uh, Ray. Oh, Jesus Christ! Ray's Ray, Tent City. They're Ray at, Charles. They're Ray at Charles. Ray Charles's piano, and you know he's doodling around doing whatever. And then Ray Charles goes, "I need to go to the bathroom." To which Stevie Wonder replies, "It's down the hall to the right." And so Ray's like, "Okay, down the hall. Yeah, the hall down there yeah, to the right." Yeah, Stevie goes, <laughs> then Stevie goes, "Don't worry, I'll take you." He goes. And Stevie Wonder proceeds to take Ray Charles to the bathroom. <laughs> and Billy Joel turns to Lionel Richie and goes, are you seeing this? <laughs> it's the blind leading the blind. I, I, when Pete told, I haven't seen it in the docker. I have seen Lionel Richie tell the story on a talk show. But that just, that's to me. What did, he call, what did he call Shaq? Hey there, big. 
Hey there, hey, big, uh, big fella. Hey there, big fella. And the chat goes, I've seen goes, the, 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 the They lived in the same complex. He goes, the elevator doors had opened and he goes, I'll come in from the basement. He was in the lobby. I hadn't said anything and he just walked in and goes, hey, big fella. He goes, what the f-? Shaq goes, I hadn't said anything. Because <laughs> Shaq's convinced Stevie Wonder. Because he can point. see. Because he can see. <laughs> Shaq also believes that uh, the moon is closer to Atlanta than the west coast of America. No, it wasn't the Because <laughs> he said, <laughs> the west coast I can is- go, he goes, I can go outside on the tallest building in Atlanta. He goes, I can see the moon. I can't see Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest videos ever created in the social media era is that Shaq filling his car up cartoon. Do you remember he told the yeah, story? Yeah, the $20. About, about, well, no, wait, 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 wait. He's doing that stuff. And they're just like Kenny and the other. No, others. no, no. You're not, you're not listening, you're Kenny. You're not listening. Yeah, Kenny's, <laughs> Kenny's laughing his he goes, head off. I fill it up half. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I fill it up half. That's twenty dollars. Kenny's like, no, it's not twenty. If it's eighty dollars for the whole tank, twenty dollars is only getting you a quarter. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> and anyway, they did a they did the story brilliant, very funny video, and then someone animated it, and he's doing like Shaq maths. Yeah. The, it's unbelievably good. Yeah. Unbelievably good. Um, very good indeed. Did we want to quickly do Johnny Rainclouds? Yeah, I got a I got a Johnny Rainclouds and a Johnny Sunshine. Oh, what? Hold on a minute. I like to theme my. Uh, Give us your Johnny Raincloud. My when the my, thunder my, stops. My weather themed. Oh, okay. Um, I like to always theme them. So, Johnny Raincloud mm-hmm. is the Melbourne Victory morons who walk through the park at the Taylor Swift concert. Um, oh, I didn't even. When did when did this happen? Obviously so during I, the concert. What night? During the concert. So it would have been the Saturday night concert. Whenever Victory played, mm-hmm. and the whatever end. They're part of on the north end. Um, they've decided to walk through and you know be a bunch of louts and then basically stop in the park and you know do some chants and whatever. Like it's a concert that is predominantly attended by little girls, just what, women in general. What? Like seriously? Fuck off! That that was just poor form all around. There's no way you can. Oh, we're there. We support our team and whatever, and you, you know support them at the venue across the like, road. No, mate. There's there's no justification that other than being a knob. When was the last time they would have walked to the ground through the par- Yarra Park as well? They always walk down Swan, Swan Street. Street. So, it, it's a calculated. It was a calculated thing, and, and you're calling them out on it. You know, it's just that's it, just a. You uh, wanted a, they wanted a reaction. They wanted to needle some people, and like they don't needle gonna, who. But the, but little girls? No, but this is it. You're not going to get. You're not going to get that reaction from women generally. They're probably just going to be going, "What are you doing?" So absolutely silly. Yeah, it does sound dumb. Mm-hmm. Do you have one, Tim? No, I do not. I've got one, and we we won't spend long on this. But similar thing. My Johnny Raincloud is. We get to the start of the AFL, the footy season. What the fuck are you doing, A League or NBL? Wrap it up. You should be done. You should be done and dusted. Why are you going head-to-head with your finals with the start of the AFL season? What is happening? We do this every year. It's a bit dumb. It's so fucking dumb. During the school holidays... For their 150 followers who go, I don't care about football, the finals are starting. No, no, mate, you're in a minority. You get no TV coverage. You're pushed back next to the obituaries in the paper. Like No one gives a shit about you once the footy starts. They just don't, particularly in Melbourne which is the big media town, the big sports town. No one cares about you and your teams just get swallowed up. And unless they're absolutely 
right at the pointy end of the ladder competing, it's even worse. Like, what are they doing, Fab? And this There's speaks no, to yeah. I don't want to. We don't want to spend too long on it. Mm. But like, we were talking recently about your idea to fucking fix Australian football, and it's the most obvious, most simplistic. There's so many just stop competing with the AFL. Stop competing. That sort of stuff. Stop fucking charging gullible parents thousands and thousands of dollars to attend a fucking academy. Get back to basics and just do a good job. Yep. Know where you are, run the game properly, stop playing in stadiums that seat 30,000 people, boutique 12,000, maybe even 10,000 seat boutique stadiums, celebrate the atmosphere. Don't be afraid to have a sellout at a 6,000 seater stadium. Thousand percent. People were crapping on about the, the hottest. I'd rather have the hottest ticket in town and play it at Epping Stadium, where the atmosphere would be fucking electric. I've seen some social media videos of Preston scoring a goal in a night game recently. Mate, it's it's packed and it's there wouldn't be more than four or five thousand. They're people chasing. There. They're chasing those early days out at Olympic Park. And it's still chasing that. It's like not you're not going to get it. No. It's done. And season of, two, season two was lightning in a bottle. It will never happen again. And yeah. part of the problem is we've spoken about it. Moving to Eddie Had and filling it up a couple of times and stuff. I went to big derbies at Eddie Had. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And then part of the problem, like we said, those louts, idiots walking through the park, dipshits. Yeah. But stop trying to cater to families as well. Don't worry about them. Have it be the hot ticket that your kid's growing up and you're in high school and they're talking about it and either Victory are playing Sydney out at an 8,000-seat stadium, go, mm. we've got to go to it. And it's your first thing as you're growing into adolescence and young adulthood and you start going with your mates to the footy to support the Victory or City or whoever. And the idea is that it's let them fucking let off flares. I don't give a shit now. Let them recreate that European – even basketball atmosphere and a soccer atmosphere. The let, let them, but let them. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what's going to create buzz and interest in people wanting to go. Because at the moment, it's a sterile, boring, just product. Agreed. Dumb. You don't have a Joni rank lad, do you? No, I don't. I do apologize for that. That's Jimmy Sunshine. Uh, what do we got, Jimmy Sunshine wise, for Baganash? Uh, keeping with the theme, I. I really enjoyed, I'm not, you know, it, it obviously swept the nation, but the whole, it was just good to see young kids going out, having a good time at the Taylor Swift concert. She obviously did a phenomenal job from anyone who attended. They said it was amazing, and I just thought it was just a really good, feel-good story. You know what's fascinating about it? You know, dads and daughters, mums and daughters, you know, whatever, sons, whoever, it just... People were there to have a good time. And, and, and rocked. To have those kids. And yeah, adults had fun, but to have those kids, that's a memory they'll retain for the rest of their lives. That's good. And I think that is absolutely brilliant. She's such a fascinating case study. I think a lot of people try to pick holes in her a little bit. And I don't, no, no, like, no, I'm not even doing that. Either. Like it's just it's just such a fascinating like she's thing. She's so to positive. Cons- mm. To consider what she's become. But this is the thing, devil's advocate, Tim. Mm. Her and why she's so popular, I saw a very funny tweet about the reason she's so popular is because women, and particularly younger women, think that she really speaks to their experiences and their conditions and you know, relationships and all that kind of stuff. And that's her meal ticket. 
basically. He's writing songs about, in a weird sort of way, they're almost mystery novels. Who's this one about? Who's this one about? What's this one referring to? It's an Agatha, almost a modern-day Agatha Christie. But there's this fun thing of like someone goes, well, guys just don't have that, do they? And someone responded tongue-in-cheek, no, we've got Thin Lizzies, the boys are back in town. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but that's what guys relate to is this really stupid, the boys are back in town. But what she's tapped into is this deep-seated emotional condition that all women feel like they can relate to and have experienced and whatever. And it's this incredibly fascinating process that she's managed, no judgment whatsoever, just an observation. She's transformed that into this fucking incredible all-conquering enterprise. Machine, yeah. Like you think about girls, you know, some of the girls at the footy club. She performed for three hours. That is long. I mean, we're recording, but... You can you can Sean's stop. gone. That's so long. I went no, for but, a bathroom break. You went for one as well. So she no, but you can. But this is the thing, and this is like when I did the movie podcast the other week. Like you can stop this and come back to it. And yeah, you can yeah. drive to work. And the way I rationalised the movie you one drive was, to work for the next six months. But this, <laughs> but the way I rationalised the movie mixtape thing was, it's like a book on tape. You're not meant to listen to it in one sitting. Mm. Like listen to it, get it, have it get you to work over the course of three and four and however many days on the way there, whatever. Um, three and a half hours for a live act's a long time. Yes, it is. Oh, have you got a Jimmy Sunshine? I have a Jimmy Sunshine. But no, but very, I, I like that, Fab. I liked your point. I thought it was, you know, very rarely do you see, and, you know, we're so far away from everything that you kind of take for granted, uh, these big road shows rolling into town. And it is sort of exciting. We spoke re- last year about, you know, Madonna came through and did the MCG, you know, however long ago it was. Was the MCG? Jackson, Michael Jackson did the yeah. MCG. Like, the guess. Dangerous Tour was huge. And you just think, like, you too. You're like, wow. Like the Zoo s- Roper at Waverley Park. You're like, you're thinking just the scale of a band that can command that is, we don't see it very often. A little redhead of the bike. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Taylor will learn. Mick Hucknall. <laughs> Mick Hucknall. <laughs> Fuck, did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that thing? Goes, Mick Hucknall trained with United and Roy Keane, just dead fans, gave Gary trouble. Because <laughs> he kept Gary Neville kept saying every time he talks about a player they played against Gary Neville's like gave me trouble always gave me trouble and then like half an hour later they were talking about Mick Hucknall train with them and Roy Keane goes gave him trouble gave him all sorts uh, do continue Tim oh yeah no, so my Jimmy Sunshine I'm probably a little bit off brand here and all that sort of stuff we're back on the swimming <laughs> oh fuck have you mentioned Duncan Armstrong no no no, no, no. for the I, third time no, last week Katie Ledecky who had been undefeated in the 800 metres freestyle for 11 years or something like that got knocked off by the young girl Summer McIntosh from Canada and the highlight last Olympics was when Ariana Titmus went up against Katie Ledecky in the women's 400 free McIntosh is now part of that triumvirate all three of them are going to be gunning for it uh, Ariane doesn't quite compete over 800 as she does at 400 and 200, but Summer McIntosh, Cuddy Ledecky for the 800 free and then all those three girls going against one another in the 400 free, it's going to be worth the price of admission. It's going to be great. I think it will be. I agree. It'll be great. Olympics is wonderful. Maybe we can do an Olympic rap with Tim Davis. I think Davis. we have to. I think we're going to have to. We yeah, might, we we might even be able to do a bit of a preview. But we, we can't get... offer any kind of expertise, Tim. It's just, we're just, it's basically, what's what's the move in volleyball? Like, Spike. Yeah, we're just, we're just there just to give. And well, digging. Digging yeah. and we're digging. We do the digging, we do the spiking, and you're just there to smash the living so shit. So I'm spiking, you're digging and Yeah, sitting. I think the spike is oh, the smash. Sp- oh, that, that's you then. Yeah, we're digging. Yeah, we, we're, the, we're the ones whose bloody 
forearms yeah. a saw. Yes. Because laying up your shit. Fair enough. <laughs> well, maybe. All right. And you, I like that. That's a good one, Tim. And my Jimmy Sunshine to bring us to an end is, you know when you buy something and it's just fucking amazing? Tell yep. me. So I bought for all my gear, my stuff that I need for Box Hill cameras and shit like that, and all sorts of different things. You know, you've got a little a gimbal in a bag and you've got like a little something else in a little case and your audio gear and all that kind of stuff. What? Nothing. Um, I thought you would have picked up on that. I bought this thing called a Gorilla Cart. Ooh. And it's basically like just – it's just a fold-out cart that you can just put maybe – Like a trolley. A trolley. Like what you see parents take to the, the – beach, maybe. Beach, yeah. And so Wheels saw, don't work on sand. Seeing yeah. people overload those things yeah. and then trying to drag it Once through Once they the get sand. too heavy, yeah. So I just use it and I go up and down maybe at Waverley or take it from the car inside or whatever. And I saw it at the Australian Open. I was fortunate enough to work out again this year, which was great. And a few of the crews like had these carts. And I thought, that's a fucking great idea. So I went down to Mitre 10. You know, you, you sort of like 140 bucks and you're kind of like, eh, amazing. The Gorilla Car. Like, is it motorized? No, no, no. It's just got a handle. It's changed life. And you're just like, this fucking saves me so much grief three times a week. So why didn't you use it on the way here this morning? I didn't need it. Okay. It's just when I've got lots of gear, like I've got okay. a big camera case yeah, and I'm with you. all sorts of other stuff. Um, yeah, like it was just a wonderful example of you buy something and you're like, this is this is not just fit for purpose. This is incredible. Awesome. And I don't know if you guys have got similar examples, but it's just great when it happens. Have you stumbled upon the Reese's peanut butter ice cream in the little I've orange? I've seen it, yeah. yeah. Have a crack. What are the other flavours? Hershey? Well, I don't know, but just try the Reese's one. I don't really like peanut butter. You're up next though. week, Pe- by the way. Peanut butter and caramel. In the um, top five. Yep. Yep. I've got it covered for you. Oh, you've got it, have you? Yeah. yeah. I reckon that should be your homework this week. Yeah, but I don't like peanut butter cups. Try it. Oh, he's like, try it. Try it. Try it. Try it. Try it. How can you say it more threatening, though? Try it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> try it. All right. <laughs> All right, very good. Excellent stuff, gentlemen. That's got us to the end. Well done. All right. Uh, I don't have the – the printer DJ will be playing now. So Only Leonard, you by Yazoo, maybe. So Leonard Puglia <laughs> – you know what I want? I want um, Belinda Carlisle's Blue Heaven to become a thing because I hear that. Doesn't Bucky use that? I don't know. I just think that's the theme for the year. Yeah, but I think Bucky uses that. I think that's his theme. I've never listened to What about to Midnight Blue by Bucky's Lou Graham? Yeah, they tried that before, didn't they? No, we used to play it at Princess Park. No, it was horrible. No, the people by the music. Or is it the music by the people? <laughs> I could never figure out which one was the band. Excellent stuff, gentlemen. We'll do it all again in a week's time. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. For me, Sean Peter Budge. Excellent. For Fabaganoush. Arrivederci, ragazzi. For Dr. Tim Davis. Always a pleasure. Look forward to doing the next one. We'll catch you next time. Go Blues. Go Blues. Through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Leho Fuchs Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein kitchen door You better not let him in 
little old lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again Gent who ran amok in Kent Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair You better stay away from him He'll rip your lungs out, Jim I'd like to meet his tailor Salon Cheney walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Cheney Jr. walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's His hair was perfect <laughs> 